Today is Wednesday, July 12th, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Today, let us start with conspiracy theory time. So we'll go through some of our favorite conspiracy theories, and then we'll talk about what globalism really means, because somebody asks it. And eventually someone gets to theology and talks about why they left the Jehovah's Witness, um, well, cult, and what brought that about, which is interesting. Then we have a very deep philosophical conversation, the kind I absolutely abhor. I put my hat on and try to jump in the ring with the best of them. Um, And by best of them, I mean arduous, obstinate, ugh. Anyways, it's mind-numbing. But if you like that type of thing, I don't know, see how I do. But um, my, my ultimate takeaway is it's ridiculous. It's a man's wisdom to foolishness. It is ridiculous. And the more they think they became wise, the more foolish they became. Um, that's my thoughts on that. Yet, anyways, I, I contend with that conversation for a little bit. Then, we we get to a much more interesting conversation and talk to a Christian convert from Norway who shares his testimony and what led him to Christianity. And while I would maybe have some questions about uh, and push back about Seventh-day Adventists, I just need to eat lunch. Um, and it's at that moment when our friend Steph pops in and... We talk about Final Fantasy 16 and whether or not Christians should play it. And uh, so, should Christians play the new Final Fantasy 16? Um, and then it goes to books, media, art, video games in general. What type of media, you know, should Christians or should we not? Obviously, the safe answer is just do none of it. Read the Bible more. But the real answer is, okay, well, we're going to live, we're going to exist. So, there are some people who abstain from pretty much all secular stuff, and props to them. Um me, however, uh, you know, I, I ingest a healthy bit of secular stuff. Um, I try to support, you know, Christian stuff as much as I can where it's available. Christian art, Christian movie, like The Sound of Freedom. I plan on seeing that very soon. I keep hearing how amazing it is. So I, I will definitely support that. Uh, so wherever there is Christian media, I like to support it. I constantly want it to be better, though. Like, don't be cheesy, don't be cringy. And I think I, I think from what I I hear... Lots of Christian media and what I what I've read and I watch is getting better and better at, you know, being Christian, proclaiming the gospel and messages of Christ without, you know, with being able to do it in an artistic way. I mean, if we don't want it in an artistic way, we have the Bible. Like, we have straight up the gospel, the Bible. But when, when we don't want to contend with secular society for music, well, let's have some Christian music. Um, when we want some Christian literature, well, we don't need, you know, people like Terry Goodkind. I mean, I, I believe that's him, right? The the one talking about Richard and the Confessor and, and all that. I think it's Terry Goodkind. Anyway, but like the guy was, I, I've, I've read a lot of the books and they're interesting, but I hate that, you know, he is an avowed atheist and has a real problem with religion. And that so clearly comes through in his books. I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to read this. Like if I'm going to support someone, I want it to be a Christian someone. Um, anyway, so that's getting better. Wow. Off on a tangent. So um, I learned some things perhaps in store in the Final Fantasy 16. Well, <laughs> YouTube video I'm watching because I'm too old to play games, oh boy, um, that are concerning. So I guess we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, err on the side of caution is usually the best approach. Um, anyway, we, we talk about that in Steph's con- um, conundrum. Anyway, so take care. Enjoy this podcast. It's a lot of good subjects covered, except the philosophy one. That one, oh, that one stinks. Unless you like it, then, you know, sorry for poo-pooing on your philosophy. But, um... Check out the Ask a Christian book on Amazon, free to read with Kindle Unlimited subscription. Check out some other Christian authors while you're there. Um, and 
you can donate to the link to keep us going, support this podcast, support people sharing the gospel of Jesus with the world, with on, with people on the internet, and you can check out the Ask a Christian store, grab a t-shirt, support this cause. All these links are in the podcast description. Um, I think that's it. Share the links, enjoy the show, take care, see you next time. Why are, uh, why are conservatives more racist? Oh my goodness, I just literally heard a dude talk about how the CIA has um, outposts in the black community and they pay people to um, you know, change the culture and oppress black people. It was this crazy CIA conspiracy theory. I was like, cool. And apparently this guy's got like 4,000 followers on Clubhouse and he's like, has rooms all the time. And I'm like, wow, you're a nut job. So where would you stand on something like that and like the CIA, like, you know, doing the, uh, like dumping out all the crack, like in the eighties in the black communities? I, I mean, would you, would I you would say stand that's with real? reality. That would be, that would be complete and utter fiction. You think so? It seems like there's like, I'm not super yeah. versed in it, but I mean, you know, it seems like I hear, I, I have heard lots of people talk about it that's like, it's all congressional testimony. It's on the record. We have evidence. I mean, I haven't like fact checked them because it's not really near and dear to my heart. But I mean, if you believe them, I mean, it's pretty bold to be like, it's all over the news. Like it's congressional testimony. If in fact, it's an outright lie. It's an outright lie. It was made up by Louis Farrakhan. Remember we talked about Calypso Louis and uh, Nation of Islam. So have you like actually checked into it? And like, in fact, yeah. this congressional testimony never happened where like, old white guys are like, yes, the CIA did this because blah, blah, blah. Correct. Reasons. Like well, you've checked and also, into that. Yeah. And also it wouldn't be possible because after the church commission in the 1970s, which we're talking about the eighties here, the CIA is not allowed to operate domestically. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, hang on. This is not allowed to operate domestically. Does anyone believe for a second they don't, don't operate domestically? Like, officially not, because that would be breaking laws. But, I mean, well, no, let's I mean, be real. But I mean, there's no reason for them to. Like, the FBI would handle that stuff. I mean, if you wanted to say the FBI did XYZ, okay. I mean, like, we could talk about it. The idea that the CIA did something, it just institutionally the CIA has a completely different mission. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It What it means to me is that you have absolutely, not you, but you know somebody making these claims would have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. Well, let me, let's ask ChatGPT, because if it gives us a source in the in the affirmative, you know it's for the man. So, I mean, if, if it will spit out something like that, that it happened, then, Ooh, I, I don't know, let's see. That's how, good, how, how, do, how do we word that? Um, it, let's do the crack know. thing first. Um, but, like, are, is the CIA, idea. yeah, because, I mean, it's totally the does, man. Well, does, um, um does AI believe in conspiracy theories? So if you were to ask it, you know, whatever. Is it a conspiracy? Is NASA keeping data from us to show us that the Earth is flat? You know, like, there's okay. a ton of good conspiracy theories. I wonder how ChatGPT does with conspiracy theories, is my question. Well, I mean, a lot of, well, I mean, a lot of conspiracy theories would be like, you know, hidden sources and like... <laughs> Kind of like Gnosticism, by the way, but it would be a lot of like mm -hmm. hidden sources and, and like chat GPT, it would, it, I mean, it would be like, oh, I don't have any information about that. Right. Because like the conspiracy information is largely he secret and hidden and wouldn't right. presumably be. So it, yeah. So, I mean, I think the only way to like do that is the opposite. 
and be like, do you have sources for this? And if you don't, well, at least you can say it's not, you know, anything that, okay, let's see. All right, how do we word this? Give us the best chance for success. Did the CIA um, introduce crack to communities? <laughs> what does it say? Um, hang on, I have to wait till it spits it out so it'll stop scrolling. Oh, it's it's got a, quite a bit to say about this. <laughs> apparently, oh 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 boy, oh lord! It okay? It's a conspiracy theorist or conspiracy factist. Okay, the question of whether or not the CIA introduced crack cocaine to black communities is controversial, and you got to mute. That's that's all back there. Um is a controversial and complex topic. Welcome, Haiti. Um, there are allegations of conspiracy theories suggesting the CIA played a role to the introduction of crack cocaine in the inner city communities in the United States in the 80s. However, it's important to note that these claims remain largely unproven and disputed by many experts. The origins of the crack cocaine epidemic are multifaceted and involve various factors, including social, economic, and political dynamics. The widespread availability and use of crack cocaine in the 80s has devastating consequences for communities, particularly in low-income areas. One specific allegation halfway done. Almost uh, often referred to as the CIA and the Contras conspiracy suggests the CIA facility, uh, facilitated the introduction of crack cocaine in the in the United States as a means to fund the Contras, the counter-revolutionary group in Nicaragua. The primary evidence supporting this theory is a series of investigative reports by journalist Gary Webb in the 90s, which claimed the CIA was aware of the drug trafficking activities by Contra rebels and um, indirectly supported their activities. However, subsequent ev investigations and government inquiries have disputed Webb's conclusions and found little direct evidence substantiate, uh, substantiating the claims that CA had involvement in crack cocaine, cocaine epidemic. Uh, Let's see. In '96, the CIA conducted and uh, the investigator they're investigating themselves. Okay, uh, conducted an internal investigation known as the CIA Inspector General's Report and allegations of connections between CIA and Contras and cocaine trafficking to the United States. The report acknowledged that some CIA employees had associations with individuals involved in the drug trafficking, but concluded there is no direct evidence um, or indirect evidence. Okay, so this even the evidence they have. Um, isn't isn't in line with what people are, are saying this is like they're they're basically saying um yeah because that's what the move the series narcos is based on like the colombian drug trade and the cia was basically in charge of importing all the drugs like in the 80s um but but that's not where this is going this is basically uh, i'm not going to get exactly right just basically um they don't like uh, like the the government elite doesn't like black people and try to screw them over like it's it's not that indirectly they controlled the heroin trade or cocaine trade in uh, Colombia. Like the claim is just like they're basically racist old white dudes and wanted to stick it to black people for for reasons. Um, so they like just basically gave tons of crack out. Uh, anyway, so even even that's not saying what this is. All right, Chris. Well, there you go. Yeah, I mean, again, like conspiracy theories. You know, they sound real good a lot of times, but and look, I believe in conspiracies. Don't get me wrong. There was a conspiracy to murder Lincoln. We know this. It was sussed out and proved and there was a bunch of people hanged. Like, there are definitely... Oh. Humans conspire with each other. There's no doubt that humans conspire with each other. But I think that oh. most of the big conspiracy theories are kind of nonsense. Okay, listen to this one. So this is this is suspect right off the bat. 
right? How, how we, we surmise based on previous encounters that if it doesn't have information, it'll speak. I don't have any sources about that. I'm just AI. I can only act with that I'm given, right? Okay. I put in your question. Oh my God. Is the government trying to poison Nate with coughing to death? That That's my question. Okay. Is NASA concealing evidence of a th- flat earth? Not only. It doesn't, doesn't say I don't have information. It says no. <laughs> NASA is not concealing evidence of a flat Earth. The overwhelming scientific consensus, blah blah blah, supported. Uh, NASA has uh, claims suggesting that NASA or any other reputable scientific organization is hiding evidence of a flat Earth are uh, based on misinformation, misrepresentation of data, and conspiracy theories. Okay, the Earth is flat. I'm convinced. Yeah, I think Michael, the Canadian atheist, is the one who's actually holding all of the cards and he is the one who has all of the data about flat earth and doesn't share. I mean, he is the new world order. Flat as a pancake. Wow. I mean, based on what chat GPT says, how, how ardently it, it says it is not. I, I think I'm convinced that yes, now it is. Not the other sure thing you didn't know. Not sure why you broke me. Huh? <laughs> Chris, what are you making breakfast or something? And you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, yep. you know, the, the quote conspiracy theories. So some days you bang around like breakfast in your own house, and other days it's at the diner. Yes. Like some of the conspiracy theories, right? It's like, well, just given the general depravity, not from like a Calvinist standpoint, but just like look around. We have jails full of people for reasons. I mean, I mean, many of them shouldn't be there, but still, we have some messed up people. Um, just look around. Um. That's my evidence. Open your eyes. So with all the messed up people and, you know, the the saying is not from nowhere, you know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And all of these like, you know, political ruling class people, like when you see them, uh, gosh, even polished now, even polished on camera, they say insane, crazy things. So when you catch them on like hidden cameras or like, you know, um, in a candid moment or something like that, they say some increasingly messed up stuff. So it's like, guys, do you know you're you're being recorded right now, right? You know this? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, but blah, blah, blah. And then they'll reason it away. So, you know, if they say, like, you know, they're all devil-worshipping, pedophile, probably reptilian aliens. It's like, okay, well, you know, I, I would need a lot of evidence to, to get on board with that. However, if tomorrow they're like, oh, wow, we have conclusive, undeniable evidence that all of this is true. I'd be like. I'm actually not surprised. So I, I certainly wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Um, so while I may not be ready to you know, throw every single one of them in jail because there's ev- not evidence to, to convict them, um, if we found out tomorrow there was evidence to convict them, I and I think a lot of people would be like, oh yeah, I'm not shocked at all. Do you want to hear my crazy conspiracy theory? I have a very good one I think Michael will thoroughly enjoy. Sure. Let's hear it. Okay. So you know how there's counter intel operations, right? So, like, we're going to, as a counter intel operation, create a a false narrative that is just close enough to the truth, but wacky, so that the people that are actually doing nefarious things will have cover um, because, you know, the, what, are you just a crazy conspiracy theorist? So 
here's my conspiracy theory. I believe that QAnon was not a bunch of wacky, like off their meds, right wingers. I think that QAnon was a CIA op. To... Wait, that's your theory? Everyone thinks that. No, no, no. Like, no, that QAnon, no, that the, 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 the idea of the conspiracy theory of QAnon, not the actual QAnon, but like the introduction of the crazy conspiracy theory of QAnon was actually done by the rich and powerful to cover when Jelaine Maxwell and uh, what's the other dude? Um, Epstein? Lowly die. Yeah, Jeffrey Epstein were arrested to cover up, like, for instance, Bill Clinton, it's been documented. He went to Lolita Island many times, uh, as did Bill Gates and lots of other global elites. And so if you can foment a crazy conspiracy theory like QAnon, that gives cover to the people who actually participated in nefarious events. Okay, so... Say that plainly. I'm I'm trying to follow. It's so an enigma saying, wrapped in a mystery. Right. All right. Before the people come to get you. Um. Okay. So I think <laughs> QAnon is basically like, like not not a bunch of like you know red blooded American people trying to do the right thing. It's a bunch of like, you know, government corrupted CIA, government corrupted three letter agencies, saying that because their whole thing is, oh, don't do anything. Just trust the process. Other people will take care of it. So that's what I think. So are you saying this goes like? a couple more onion layers around. That's, yes. that's not what you're saying, or at the end of the day, it is. It is not. Okay, so... No, so, so the idea of the QAnon conspiracy itself, right? Like, not the fact that, like, Pizzagate and all this other stuff, like, actually happened, but, like, the idea of the introduction of QAnon is to give... Oh, like, you, okay, you're saying it makes it so... deniability. Okay, let me try one more time, um, and then Michael can analyze you. Okay, so are, are you saying, like, it's their idea about QAnon by, by making things like, like Pizzagate, like underground sex pizza shops, so outlandish that then whenever they're just run-of-the-mill, like, like, doing nefarious stuff, they're like, oh, you also must think they have, like, underground pizza sex shops, right? And it's, like, so crazy that less mundane nefarious stuff goes on the, under the radar? Correct. Okay, sure. Yeah, that, that sounds right. What do you think, Michael? Do you like my conspiracy theory? Um, please just send me your address in a private message, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and then with the little white coats, we'll come see. And I'll, I'll send some people to take you to a safe space for tonight. Um, Michael, can I mod you real fast to bring up Keegan? I'm trying, but it won't let me. I suppose... Hang on. Thank you for doing your godly duty. Or just helping out. All right, Keegan, we're trying to get you up here. All right, Michael. Uh, hang on me. Yeah, boom. <laughs> I was trying to listen to Michael. I know. Let's get him back up here. Not now if it doesn't work. <laughs> All right, Michael, you were saying. I, so, um, yeah, no. Um... <laughs> <laughs> That's the uh, short answer. <laughs> to just everything you've heard in the last 15 minutes? Yeah, pretty so much. It was, so it wasn't schizos off their beds, or it was schizos <laughs> off their beds. It wasn't like, you know, three-letter agencies planting ideas in the schizos. 
Well, yeah, well, yeah, it's like a fourth wall. It's like, uh, you know, that line from Deadpool, fourth wall break inside a fourth wall break. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting. It, this, this actually uh, has me wondering about a, another thing, because like speaking of conspiracies, um, this is one that this is one that I hear all the time. And I honestly don't know what people mean when they when they use this word. Uh, so I'm, I'm super curious. What exactly is a globalist? It is someone who is not a nationalist. <laughs> so usually like people like, you know, like patriots of countries, we usually, you know, go the, the mantra, it may be different depending on the country we're talking about, but it would be something like, you know, if you're a God-fearing person, like God, family, country, or so, something in, in, along a mix and match of that, right? Meaning you, you recognize if there's a higher power, that would go first. If you're an atheist or there's not a higher power, like maybe in, like Dutch or Holland or something like that, where maybe God isn't necessary priority for a lot of them, it would go like, you know, a family and country or, you know, something like that, or nation and family, uh, meaning that you, you start with your smallest circle. Um, so like, if you believe in God, it's us and God, and then it's your family, and then it's the place your family lives. And then eventually you'll get to the entire world. But, you know, that takes a little more doing because the world's a big place. So when I say, uh, you know, when, when I say globalist, I mean like the opposite of that. Like instead of starting small and going big, you just start big and stay big. So you like want to say if you're a globalist, you're you're subsuming everything under like one one massive world creation. So it's like United Nations, right? That would be like a, a mini globalist of all the nations who are united because now you have policy that affects multiple nations, all these different nations. So a globalist would be like, you know, that's typically tied in with like one world government because they don't just want to control like a state or a couple countries or a little federation. They, they really want what they do to affect the entire planet, like all nations on the planet. So that's that's what globalist typically means. And the reason it's looked at negatively is because, you know, what works in you know Russia may not work for someone in South America. So to try to it's just like big, bigger federal government, like how they try to pronounce uh, pass laws that affect the entire country in America, uh, United States. But what's good for Washington, D.C. may not be good for the people of Alaska or Arizona or Hawaii or U.S. controlled Virgin Islands. Um, so, so that's why it's typically bad um, in conjunction with these people are usually just associated with like, you know, extreme narcissism and nefarious activities and bad people. So it's not even like they're, they're looked at whether they are or not. It's not that they're looked at as trying to, to be a good person controlling the entire world. Because that would still be bad for the aforementioned reasons, right? Like one policy here may not be good here. Um, but if you're also associated with like kind of nefarious activities and being a bad guy, um, then I mean, that's just like extra bad. So that's what globalist means. And that's why it's typically frowned upon. Um, and, then, uh, you know, people who champion globalism, even though they may not say that word because it's kind of a kind of a hot button word, would say stuff like world unity. And, you know, we don't want to be divided and we want to come together. So those are the kind of things you'd hear from people championing this idea of globalism to like get all on the same page. Um, so it's basically two ends of the spectrum. So if you want like huge, big global government where one size fits all, that's your thing. Um, except if you're a good person, check into that more because I, I think, I mean, you know, we know like in our own smaller governments, even national governments, not many people like their politicians because they think they're bad, incompetent and or evil. Um, and or reptilians. <laughs> but if you like small stuff, like you want to start with you, you want to start with your family, you want to start with your city, you want to start with your, your county or your providence or province, 
then you would be more like a nationalist, even if you don't like that word, because that word's also a hot button word. Well, yeah, only when you add prefixes and suffixes to them. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, okay, so that's interesting. So, okay, steel man the globalist position. Why? Tell me, oh. tell, no, tell me why globalism would be a good thing. Because it would unite the world. There wouldn't be different policies from different nations that contradict or conflict with each other. So it would get rid of barriers uh, between like, let's, let's say France and Germany. Like if they have policies about environmentalism, for example, and it caused other diplomatic problems because one, uh, you know, one environmental policy is like, you know, burn coal. Let's, let's, you know, get what we need. And the other one's like, no, no, that's bad. We need solar. And because of that schism of policies, now that sullies the water and, and makes it hard for them to get along in other areas. So it creates unnecessary uh, friction. So globalism, God, it's hard to still man this, but globalism would say, no, uh, you know, we, like a bigger version of the UN globally, um, say that this is the emissions, this is the environmental standards. Now Germany and France can get along and we all can get along because we have the same environmental policy. And since that doesn't create friction, and we don't have any friction because all of our policies are exactly the same across the globe. We can all be friends and hug and, you know, just get along. That That's the best I can steel man it, uh, which, I mean, I think is pretty good, but yeah, God, bad. I don't want to throw up. Yeah, no, no, it's, no, it's not bad. It's not bad. Um, yeah. So do you think that there are some areas because because like I mean, so it's funny. I spend I spend a good deal of time looking at, you know, especially now with the political climate in the U.S., it's hysterical, um, you know, watching different news sources. And I try to watch different news sources. Um, I do my best. And glo like essentially globalist is a, is a pejorative. And so I'm, I'm curious and I'm, I'm really curious to hear what Chris thinks about this, too. Are there some ways where you think actually globalism would be a good thing? Like, like, like on the, on the macro scale, genuinely on the macro scale. Was that for me or Chris? Both. Um, uh, well, I, I mean, I think the way it would be good is, is if the way I still manned it um, actually happened. That's how it would be good. If one policy governed the entire planet and it really did this, create this utopia that they say, I mean, obviously, that would be good. However, I have, like, negative faith that that would actually happen, and that's what makes it bad. But, I mean, that's how it would be good. If, if what they say, if how I describe it, actually worked, that's how it would be good. It'd be amazing. The only problem is I don't think that's going to work for a second. <laughs> okay. So, oh, okay, Chris, before I give my next, my next question, Chris, go ahead. I mean... The idea of globalism is that you can exercise some type of power over the you know the lives of the entire globe, right? So let's just say I see as a objective good uh, the implementation of American-style capitalism across the world because I believe that that lifts people out of poverty. Well, okay, cool. How are you going to do that? You're going to go to China and, you know, wipe out all their leaders and get rid of their communist government. And, you know, you're going to go to, you know, whatever backwater, you know, country in North Korea, you know, you're going to, you're going to topple their regime. I mean, 
the idea of globalism in terms of what it possibly could do in the in the theoretical realm sounds like it could be good the problem is is that people are pesky and they hold on to beliefs and worldviews that make conflict with the global belief and worldview and what do you do with those people and in the history of the human race what you end up doing with those people is you kill them all Oh, I guess I got distracted. Um, okay, so that, it's interesting. Um, yeah, it's it, it's interesting. I, it just I spent I, I spent I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole yesterday afternoon, and I was I was looking at some different videos, and it's it, it seemed to me that every so like I spent some time on 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 Fox and and some different different news sources, um, and and the the common thread was that that globalism was 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 wholly bad and so i i wanted to get i wanted to get the opinion of people you know kind of outside uh outside canada um just their opinion on stuff like that but anyway yeah i mean i think it could be good like i've mentioned but it's like how how are you exercising that power are you prepared to nuke millions of people out of existence in order to fulfill your goals you know, like, I, I just don't think that's a great idea. And, and it's also thinking, like, you know, the, the we're from the government and we're, we're here to help. Like, that's, that's like the worst thing, right? Like Reagan said, that was the most terrifying words you could hear. Um, it's just thinking, man, it, like, we can't even fix our city councils, right? Like, people, people disagree on city councils, like, hardcore. People have shot each other in like city councils before around the country because they disagree. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like look that up. Like people, I mean, people disagree to the point of death in like a local mun municipal government. So if we can't even get it right with like a couple thousand residents, do we really trust people to get it right or even like sort of right on an entire planetary scale? Just no. I mean, you may as well believe in God. Um, that, that takes less faith than that. Um, Interesting. Anyway, Keegan came up here and hasn't said uh, diddly yet. Oh, and uh, sorry, Keegan. Uh, real quick, Sam actually had a Christian question. Would you like to fill that one, Chris? It says, "Is uh, man is spirit that has soul and lives in a body? Is that a correct statement? How do you see it according to the Bible?" Um, is he still here? Uh, yes. Okay. So. I guess I need more clarifying information. So are we asking if man is tripart, i.e. spirit, soul, and body, like Roy? Or are we asking is man just soul and body? Um, because those two things have wildly different implications theologically. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's going that direction. Um, I think it's just it's like just do your dichotomy is fine because I think he's he's really saying is um is man a spirit the, uh, is basically man a spirit is that the biggest part of man or is like the biggest part of man um a body that happens to have some kind of spirit or soul or is man really just like a spirit slash soul that happens to have a, a fleshly body i think that's the question sam if i got you wrong clarify but i think that's what he's asking 
Like basically, so, are we spirit with a body or are we body with maybe a spirit? I, I don't know that it matters, but I think that's the question. So what the Bible actually teaches is that your soul and your body are inextricably linked. You as an individual person are both soul and body that you're completely intertwined and you can't, you know, un what's the can't uh, unwhip those eggs or what anyway can't separate can't can't separate you can't put the tooth the toothpaste back in the tube so what we would say is that the bible actually has a very complex and unique idea of uh, soul and body um, you know culminating in what we call the glorified body or in the eternal body so um you are reunited to a body that is either glorified in Christ, or if you are, you know, heading for the lake of fire, then you are given an eternal body that will exist in the lake of fire. So, you know, you're, you're never escaping the body um, in Christianity, in the Christian worldview, at least. I hope that helps him if it didn't just uh, clarify and we'll, or in chat and we'll, um, we'll talk about it. Keegan, what's up, man? How are you? Good. I uh, I was just I'm I'm really just listening as of right now. It's been a it's been a pretty interesting discussion right now. Hearing all your guys' point of views on conspiracies. You know, it is it is fun to have have this conversation. Thanks, Michael. Um, about things that are normally so polarized. Because uh, I, I don't know. Usually, when you hear it, right, like you said, like like the uh, the idea because i mean I'm, I'm totally convinced any anything to do with globalism is going to lead to like new world order and be bad and probably you know um, set up the set up the uh stage for the antichrist but i can temper that for discussion's sake and you know thought experiment about well what is the what what was the best possible outcome if everything happened perfectly um for too many times like you said yesterday it's like you heard like it's all bad. It's all evil. Or from the other side, maybe it's all good. We need to do this. We have to save the planet. And it's, it's hard to find moderate voices, even though like self-admittedly, I would not be a moderate voice like in the, in the scheme of things. I'm like, no, totally evil. Don't do that. It's gotta be bad. Um, but at least I can, I can put myself in that position to talk about it and think about it rationally. And uh, so kudos group. See, that's a, you, you, you used another one there. What is the new world order? It's the same. It's just the '90s version of the of the globalist. It's just a different term for the same thing. It's the World Economic Forum. That's what it is. <laughs> Which is another term for the same thing. <laughs> well, so so here's the thing: is like there are world, global yeah. there are global, for lack of a better word, organizations that are excellent. Um, so, for instance. Uh, the general agreements on trades and tariffs. Um, when I was in college, uh, I was an econ major, and I actually had a professor who um, helped negotiate GATT. Um, so he was a genius on trade policy. So it was very interesting. Um, anyway, so GATT has lifted more people out of poverty. You can make the case for the, the fact that freer trade course there's never any such thing as completely free trade but freer trade has lifted more people out of poverty in the last 50 years than any other economic policy in the world and so if you were to press me on a global um, regime that is 
purely good, I would say that the general agreement on trades and tariffs on trade and tariffs is an excellent um, global regime that has lifted literally millions of people out of poverty. How's that, Michael? Interesting. Yeah, like I, I, I generally think free, you know, yeah, free-ish trade uh, is a good thing as well. Yep, a rising tide lifts all boats. That's that's classic. Except then, capitalism. Yeah. What? I, I, except then, if you get, huh? Huh? What? What? <laughs> no, no one what talking about right now. No, or nothing. I, I was trying. I was just trying to butt in. I, I was trying to say, but something. I was trying to add something, and you. I guess you thought I was arguing, but I hadn't actually said words. Um, no, I was saying, but the problem would be if you try to give like the group you're talking about, the free trade, free-ish trade people, if you then tried to say, okay, do what you did with trade to every aspect of someone's life and governance, then problems would arise. So, for example, like Michigan is trying to, or I don't think they have, or it won't hold up, but right now they're trying to pass, like, they're making it illegal to use the wrong pronouns with somebody. So imagine if that was on a global scale. There are lots of people that are like, first of all, like, we don't, you know, even if they're not religious, they're like, yeah, I don't care about your pronouns. I'm going to call you what I want. Like, I'm intentionally going to call you the wrong pronoun because you're crying about it. And then you have the religious people. Um, so you've got all kinds of different perspectives. Um, and, th and then the people just don't care and they're going to call them the wrong pronoun because they're just not thinking. And they're like, that's, that's silly. Just come on. Um, just give me a cheeseburger. Um, so imagine if like that was one of the global policies implemented on all of humanity, where if you m call someone by the wrong, wrong pronoun, that's punishable by fine and imprisonment. Like that would be a problem. So trying to enforce that, it's like, well, what do you do with like half the planet? that either is opposed to it or is going to become opposed to it uh, because it's anyway, it's like, well, what do you do with him? Do you find half of planet earth? Do you jail and imprison half of planet earth? And I mean, that's just like one kind of mundane thing. So anyways, I mean, that, that would be, I mean, I, I just cannot imagine other than like fanciful, you know, what we theorized earlier or hypothesized. I just can't imagine um, a way that that, that would work to anyone's anyone's good but then when you have like the things like you know the, and that that's trying to give people in the best possible light so then when you have like the 2030 agenda and stuff like that where they're like yeah by 2030 half the planet needs to be it, it's kind of like how chris would say god doesn't damn people damn people to hell god just passes over them these people would say well you know by 2030 we don't want to say everyone should die but they need to be passed over by 2030 so it's like well how does that happen so, I mean, these are the same global leaders that have their hands in, like, the World Economic Forum and, like, kind of this globalist universal mentality. So it's like, okay, well, if, if we want to have the best, um, you know, put you in the best, give you the, the best possible chances of success, and you're saying you want humanity to be united and blah, 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 but then you're also, like, on record in interviews saying half the planet needs to be gone by 2030, um, what are we supposed to think? Like, you have the best intent of 8 billion people in mind? Of course not. So things like that, like, no matter how much someone wants to say it's good, I mean, certainly don't go on the record and say half the planet needs to be gone in the next, like, few years. 
It's interesting. I read somewhere once, and I think I, I actually agree with this, going on a, like, uh, taking things to the extreme. Um, it was uh, an evolutionary biologist who was saying the best thing that could ever happen to planet Earth is for all the people to be gone. Um, and I think the reality is he's right. Um, we, we are the worst thing for this planet. Um, we, you know, no, no other species pollutes, no other species, you know, causes climate change. Um, we are terrible for this planet. Um, and so I think what you have to do is maybe look at the, you know, the manner in which that is intended. Cause I don't necessarily think that, um, I, I don't think that it, that's right. Getting rid of, you know, half the world's population is not, you know, it's not a good thing. Um, but, but also we're terrible. Well, I mean, I can agree with that. And I mean, you know, like via, like, I don't know the rapture or my eternal home, like I'd happily volunteer by, yeah, Jesus, get me out of here. Like I'll be one of the people that get out of here, but I would rather it be at the hands of Jesus, not at the hands of someone be like, here, just put this gas mask on. We'll make you real comfortable real fast. You're just, think of all the lives you're saving. Think about how you're propelling humanity to a better tomorrow. Um, I, I would not be happy if it came at that, that mechanism. Well, no, and I certainly wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't either. Um, and and actually, I would be um, more. I think I'd be more against it than you, because I don't think I'm going anywhere else. Like, so I mean, this is the only. Yeah, you're life. one and done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, this is what I've got. I want to, you know, I want to suck the marrow out of this thing called life, and you know, l you know, live it to its live it to its fullest. Because this is not, this is not a dress rehearsal. Right. It's it. And it's funny because I, I hear a lot of times that, you know, we can maybe take things on, the, you know, down the route of uh, of like religion and God stuff, um, because I hear, you know, so often, you know, that, um, you know, I've, I've heard people, you know, make the terrible argument, you know, that, you know, you know, atheists don't have anything to live for. And it's the absolute opposite. It's the absolute op uh, opposite. Atheists have nothing to die for. Well. To preserve yeah. your family or something like that. I don't know Miles. if that's reading into it too much. I mean, you'd probably die for your wife. I mean, it's probably not what you meant, but I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. There would be things for which I would give give up my life, but it wouldn't be to you know like uh, you know like the um, uh, you know Jonestown, right? You know, over nine hundred people in Jonestown died. They were all pretty convinced that you know that Jim Jones was you know you know, telling the good story. Right. And they died for what they thought was the right thing. Right. Um, and they were still wrong. Right. Well, I mean, as far as I know, I mean, I guess they could be on a spaceship right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's like, the I mean, South park thing where it's like, you know, everybody dies and they, and they meet God and God's like, Oh, and by the way, it was the Mormons. They were right. And everybody's like, oh. <laughs> what a fun morning. Yeah, we've, we've taken this to dark places. <laughs> oh, it was Have fun Mormons. with this. Uh, you know. They were right all along. 
Oh. Have fun with this uh, with this upload for your podcast, Nate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> lead meat balloon. Oh, um, Michael, I have. Um, we were talking to you know we talk often about you know what is Christian nationalism and things like that. Um, hey, you said Vody it, not Bauckham. me. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, Vody Bakum, who is a uh, very famous preacher. Um, he just did an hour. It, it's more of a lecture than it is a, a sermon. So like, I'm not going to send you sermons to watch, but like, I think that you would find this extremely informative because he kind of goes through the thought process. Like what the heck is Christian nationalism? And so he goes through all of the different ideas about it and, you know, how he processes it. And at the end of it, you know, he, he's making a joke. Um, yeah, because he's a he's a famous Calvinist, and, uh, and he goes, yeah. When people roll up to me and they say, "Are you a Calvinist?" He's like, "What do you mean by that?" You know, is his first question, because you know there's eight different definitions that people have in their heads about what a Calvinist is, um, and so he says, "Well, if somebody says to you, are you a Christian nationalist?" He's like, "The best question to say is, what do you mean by that?'" Um, because multiple different people mean multiple different things in different contexts by what they mean by that. And so I, I think you would find it, and he's just a really, really good speaker. And I think you would find this, this lecture very enjoyable. Well, uh, yeah, so it was sent it to me. I'll have a look, but no, I, th I actually, I do think it's interesting. I spend, uh, I spend a good deal of time. Some people think wasting time, um, talk, you know, like when you're going to have a conversation with people, finding out what they mean by what they say. Right. Because, you know, like I've said before, I've gotten into arguments with people, you know, with fellow, you know, atheists over the definition of the term. Right. So, you know, when someone says, you know, because I, I can be talking to a Jehovah's Witness. Right. Who, and, and Jehovah's Witnesses identify as Christian, as do Mormons. You don't think they're Christians or Mormons. And, and at the root of it, neither do I, I think the, the, those are cults. Um, but you know, but they identify as, as Christian. So one of the best things you can do when you're having a, you know, discussion is, is ask, you know, you know, what does it you mean by that? Oh, you're an, you're an atheist. Yes. Um, oh, you know, what, you know, what do you mean by atheist? Are you the person who, you know, who just, um, you know, withholds beliefs? So you're more on the agnostic side. Are you the person kind of like me that says, no, gods are made up, um, you know, or, or what else? Right. Because, and I, and I think there's, I think there's good value in that. Right. There's, there are those, and, and we've talked about this before, what I think are, you know, the, the bad faith actors, the, you know, the, the bad faith agents out there that are, and this is, this is a term actually that, that I first heard coined by uh, Tom Rabbit, um, who said, you know, they're basic people that are allergic to clarification because they're not interested in moving a dialogue forward. They want to keep things just vague enough and keep just enough ambiguity in there to stay dancing in the shadows so they never have to take a firm stance on anything. So, like, I, I would actually, Chris, be interested in, in seeing this. I mean, yeah, there's probably a good deal. I'm going to be doing a lot of eye rolling. Let's be honest, right? Um, but those types, of, those types of conversations do interest me because... You know, when a person is coming from a, a quote unquote good faith position, 
I like that. And, and I think that there's a, there are many people who can learn from people like that, who want clarification and who actually, who don't want to, you know, dance around in vague town USA. Um, hey, Jake, welcome. Hi. <clears throat> um, I was wondering about non-Trinitarian religions. Would that be like Methodist? Oh, uh, well, since we're searching, uh, Michael, I appreciate your point. I appreciate your point. Um, I, I, I actually, I think Methodists are Trinitarians, right, Chris? Well, oddly enough, Maybe the, uh, so, the, sorry, the two groups we were just talking about. Taking my father-in-law to the, uh, Yeah, the two groups we were just talking about, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, neither of them are Trinitarians. Okay. Because I think Nate knows, but either way, I was, I just came out of being 30 years um, in the truth, as we call it, or a witness. And uh, yeah, we were Christians. So I feel just a little like butterfly in my stomach, even though I left, that you would say I wasn't a Christian because it's non-Trinitarian. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I didn't, uh, Joanna, you and I have spoken about this. Uh, a few times before I spent a total of about probably close to five years studying with witnesses uh, up here in Ontario. I went to the Bethel, which is in uh, Georgetown, Ontario, um, went to one of their uh, conferences in Hamilton at Cops Coliseum where there was like 17,000 witnesses there. Um, and, you know, had the Bible went through the live forever book and the, like the whole nine yards you had all, I, I still have a lot of the publications and, um, and, and yeah, like ask any witness and they will tell like, and, and actually mo what most witnesses believe is that they are descendants of first century Christians. Um, and, and yeah, they will positively say that they're Christians. You talk to almost any other denomination, uh, they're a cult for sure. Well, uh, I forgot to join it. Uh, I guess yeah, all those years, well, was I Christian? I mean, I was praying to Jesus. Uh, well, I, I actually had a question that I wanted to get Chris's take on, which goes into what you're saying perfectly. But just I, I, I forget. Um, you said you you were a Jehovah's Witness for thirty years, and you you came out of it. So what are you now? Are you agnostic, or I, I, don't I forget know. what you? Oh, I've just okay. So you're most. So you're currently ex, like exploring different stuff. Um. Yeah, I guess. Okay, so like you you like what like di like. So you would not, even if you consider yourself a Christian as a Jehovah's Witness, you would not consider yourself a Christian now because you came out of being a Jehovah's Witness. So now you you would no, say you're, you're definitely. You're, you're giving me, you're telling me what I'm thinking and giving me multiple choice. Well, no, um, I'm, I'm trying to clarify because I, I heard up. you. Uh, well, yeah, I heard you say something and I'm just trying to repeat it back as I heard it. Like, I, I'm not trying to lead you. I think this is for my own information. Like, I'm, I'm just curious, like, where you are now. Like, I, I'm. Just want you to tell me what okay. what position you're coming from. Uh, okay, and again, I'm maybe I don't know, but I'm kind of lost. Okay, so yeah, yeah that's so always now, trying to clarify, which okay. was not done. But okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So when I see, so I we okay, I know the scriptures. I'm going to say very well, um, because that's all I did with my time. So I only know the scriptures in the context of which I do, like John 10. So there are 
I have sheep and then I have other sheep. So I know what it means to me. Now I'm learning. So what does that mean to Trinitarians? So I have, who are the other sheep? Some say Israel. Uh, so I'm, I'm taking those main scriptures that, that were my core belief and seeing what else could it be besides what the Watchtower Society told me. Thank Sure. Well, I mean, the my, I have different sheep. Like, I mean, that wouldn't that wouldn't conflict with any doctrine of the Trinity. That I mean, that's like a different that's like a different category. Like, I, no. I happen to think that means Jews. Well, well, no. I mean, if you're saying how does that mean for a non-Trinitarian, that that's irrelevant because like the Trinity. I mean, as a Trinitarian, I, I'm telling you. Like, if you find another Trinitarian that tells you differently, fine. But I mean, I'm telling you, as a Trinitarian, the Trinity plays no part in in the I have other sheep. For me, the other sheep is a differentiation between Jews and Gentiles. That's what that means. And yeah. I know some people say it's Israel. Some people say this. For me, it it means a difference between Jews and Gentiles, but that has nothing to do with my Trinitarian beliefs, like the, the how I understand God as a triune being. Like that, that's a completely different subject. Correct. Um, I wasn't using that scripture um, in the Trinitarian, you know, confusion that I have. I was saying, for instance. I see scriptures in the way I was taught. For instance, nothing to do with the Trinity. We believe that there's a heaven and a new earth. There's 144,000 and a great crowd, right? So everything in Jehovah Witness is separated into, are you going to be in the heavenly class or stay on the earthly class as in the meek shall inherit the earth? So in John 10, that's what the two, anytime you see two separate groups, it's those two groups, a heavenly group and a new earth group. Okay. That that wasn't about the Trinity. It was just an example of every scripture I see, I put it in the category of, are they part of the 144,000 or are they part of the new earth? Look, can I chime in, Nate? Oh, uh, yeah, go ahead. Hey, hey John. Uh, from my reading of Revelation, the 144,000 are uh, Israelites. Uh, makes it pretty clear. They're from this 12,000 from each tribe, and they preach the gospel of the kingdom during the uh, tribulation. And it's through their ministry that there's a great multitude that are saved and that come to faith in Christ. So uh, God uses, in my mind, uh, my understanding of the text, works through Israel. Ethnic Israel, not not a spiritual Israel, which is what covenant theology, I think, would say. So, but they preach on the earth; they preach the gospel of the kingdom. So, yeah, it's inter it's interesting you say that because witnesses like uh, like I met uh, when I was at uh, the the conference that I mentioned before in Hamilton. Um, I actually met someone who knew that they were one of the anointed, and he was not a Jew, um, and and he like when he was introduced to me. He was introduced to me as someone who knew he was one of the anointed and that when this system came to an end, he was going to become an angel and serve, serve uh, God in heaven. Exactly. So, so Janet, the, the reason that Christians consider JW a cult is because of interpretations like this that are not supported by the text. And so... There, there's, there's definite issues in terms of how JWs look 
at the text and recontextualize everything. Recontextualize. The reason that JWs, yeah, the, the reason that, that JWs are considered a cult is because they are, the, well, the original adherents were purposefully manipulating scripture and manipulating people in both a theological and sociological way uh, in the early days of JW. So that's why JW is considered a non-Christian cult. Well, that's a pretty big claim, but uh, it's too early for me to say anything. I'll just listen. Excuse me, Joanna, have yeah. you read the book? Have you read the book Watch Out for the Watchtower? No. You should you should grab that. Okay. Um, it goes into uh, it goes into some of the history, and it talks about Charles Taz Russell and Joseph Rutherford, who were the original founders of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. Um, and if you if uh, like if if you go to a Kingdom Hall, and you ask people about Charles uh, Charles Rutherford and um, oh sorry uh, Charles Russell and Joseph Rutherford, they will not talk to you about it. I think a good book would be Crisis of Conscious uh, by uh, Friends. Uh, I think it's like Crisis of uh, Google Crisis of Conscious. He was a gentleman who's on the governing body of the Watchtower. We got this fellowship for calling out love and practices that are going on. I think that's a good one. Crisis of Conscience. Crisis of Conscience. You have a lot of background noise, but we we heard that Crisis of Conscience. Crisis of Conscience. Is Chris on the phone, or either Chris? It shows he's on. The, shows he's on the phone. Um, yeah, like sometimes it shows someone's on the phone, and then it like still shows they're, they're on the phone even when they're not. But yeah, all right. Well, let me know when it shows he's off the phone. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, uh, Brandon. Thanks. You you reminded me the the other one, Crisis of Conscious. That's another one that I read. Um, but yeah, the uh, Watch Out for the Watchtower was the first one that I that I read that was introduced to me. And, and yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It goes to, it kind of, it takes a very macro look at the organization, but it, but it starts basically with, with Charles Russell, who was, uh, I want to say, I want to say Lutheran or Methodist, if memory serves. Um, and, you know, basically didn't like the way things were, were being talked about and, and taught. And so basically, you know, splintered off. And got ba- got financial backers to fund the creation of the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures, which, of course, as you know, is the Bible that they use. Um, and also, oh, real quick, uh, Chris, uh, you, Stephanie, if if you're uh, listening down there, um, real quick, um, Final Fantasy 16. I didn't want to buy or play the game because I don't want to learn new stuff, but I started watching a video of like a professional gamer guy play it in like 4k. It looks amazing. So I, I know you said you had some bad re- reviews and I, there are some, some language in it. Like it's definitely a mature game. Um, and there's like tons of violence, which, you know, doesn't, doesn't really bother me, but uh, anyways, but I just want to let you know, it's a very pretty looking game. It is awesome looking. Anyways, uh, Jay, there is a question in chat from someone that wants to know, if you don't mind, why you left Jehovah's Witness. Well, okay. There was um, my daughter. Simply, I'll be as short as I can. My daughter got her own place. And my son 
had moved to California. He was there for a year. He wanted to come home. So she said, come stay with me for a while. And one of the witnesses saw that she had another, a man in her house. She said, it's my brother. Well, he either had to move out or she was disfellowshipped. And she was thrown out of the church because, uh, sorry, I'm shaking because it's so disgusting. Even though it was her brother, the neighbors wouldn't know that and they would think she was fornicating. So I said, fuck this. Thank you. That's sick. I'm sorry. So. Well, there you go. There is your answer. And that's part of that sociological cult that I was talking about. Yeah, I, had, I heard similar types of uh, of stories. Um, there's a there's a very it's it's a real there's a really insidious uh, makeup to how the how their organization is put together with the elders and stuff like that, and it's it's very uh, maybe insidious is just the best word because they they're very very particular about you know you know who you associate with and all this other stuff and they. Um, um, the way they have their meetings, basically, you know, they have three meetings a week. Um, at least they did. They they do here Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Um, and it's basically to keep you busy doing the things that they want you to do, so you don't have time to be doing other stuff. It's a really, really um, interesting uh, business model. Let's call it. <laughs> Oh, like in a, a chime in, Chris, uh, or Nate, just want to touch on something. Is that okay? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think they would, the, I mean, the Joe's witness could speak for themselves, but in regard to uh, Joe and your daughter living with her brother, I think they might, you know, such text says, I think it's in First Corinthians where it talks about abstain from all appearance of sin. So they might say that, even though they're not sinning, there's the appearance of sin. Because I remember I went to a, like a Reformed Baptist church, and my my friend, she's like she's a great grandmother now, and her daughter was living with her her son, you know, and she herself brought that to my attention. I think uh, she her concern, you know, they weren't disfellowship, but she mentioned that you know the appearance of sin, even though they're brother and sister. Uh, and her, she was concerned that other people might think they were there was fornication going on. So I, I'm just suggesting that might have been like the, the rationale. Well, I'm not saying that, that justifies. Go on. Well, I have a problem with I, I have a problem with that, and then I have a question for Chris, Chris in a minute. But my problem with that is if they if they don't know if they're fornicating, they're, I, by that logic, they're also not going to know if they're not married. Like presumably, like if someone is like l seeing neighbors from so far away that they don't know if they're fornicating or not, they also aren't going to see a wedding ring from that far away to assume they're married or not. So, I mean, if you're close enough to see a wedding ring, presumably you'd be close enough to be like, oh, so is that your, you know, brother or sister or roommate or whatever? Like, and also by that logic, does that mean it forbids roommates because they're not married and they're of the opposite sex and that could give the appearance of evil? As if people can't have a quick conversation, like, yeah, that's my roommate, that's my brother, that's my, you know, husband, whatever. Um, but Jay or Joanna, I'd say that that's also why, like, just look at all all the religions of the world 
and the things that add, at least from Christianity, the stuff in Christianity that adds all this man-made stuff and rules around it, like that, I mean, that's just like red flags everywhere, right? Like the closest someone could get right. is what everyone just said, like abstain yeah. from all appearance of evil. And I'd say by making like man-made rules to, to keep someone in line or keep them like, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, in Judaism, they do like mitzvahs, like good deeds, right? That, that would be like, um, they would put practices in, pra- in place to keep people from breaking the actual law. So it's like, if the law says do not do something, then they would put stuff in place to keep you from doing something else. Which, if you keep that, then you're definitely not going to break the law because the thing they put in place is more of a burden and harder to keep than the law. So it's like by way of doing this thing and following this thing, well, you're not going to break the law. So this is like a bastardized Gentile cult way of doing the same thing. Like when they add man-made stuff on top of what the scripture says, that should be a red flag for anyone. Like Jehovah's Witnesses have It wasn't man-made. They pointed to the scripture like... I think Edwin just said, and it said appearances, and the, right. so it's scriptural. Everything is scriptural. So, well, uh, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you one more piece of what really happened. My daughter chose to tell my son he can't stay there, and he would not have come home from California to New York. And I and yeah, so this kid was scrambling, staying on couches because she listened to them. And then she got thrown out anyway. Now she is like a crusader for this, awakening from cults. She has a whole YouTube if anyone wants it. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I'm sorry, I went off. But they kept having a bunch of people come over and showing you from the scripture where you're sinning. You see, you have to understand, guys. Lastly, I'm going to say this. You're in a different mindset when you're surrounded by a bunch of people who are doing this to you. You're very vulnerable. They, they get you to a state, like someone said. You have to go three times a week, and in between, you have to study for those three times a week. So you're so in- engulfed. You don't even, you're not allowed to talk to anybody in your family. You're not allowed to go to anything. And as that's it. It's, it's crazy. Right, and I get that. And that's why I, you know, just because someone says, um, it's, it's scriptural. That was my challenge. What Edron said, right? Abstain from all appearance of evil. So if they say, see, this is what the scripture says, and this is how you interpret that. That's my challenge, right? So just because someone says it's scriptural, is it scriptural? Um, and I would challenge and say no. But Chris, are, are you there? I have a question for you. Sure. Because it goes into what Joanna was saying earlier. Um, I have a feeling you know your answer, but you know, I'm wondering how far I can pull you. Um, okay, so she was saying, like, since she was not Trinitarian, um, and she was Jehovah's Witness, um, and she was a you know a Christian for all these years because she considers herself a Christian for all these years, does that mean she was not a Christian according to us because she was a non-Trinitarian? And my first thought is, well, before you get to Trinitarian, it was Jehovah's Witness, so it's the completely wrong Jesus. So it's not because of the non-Trinitarian, but because you have an affinity <laughs> for NAR and stuff like that, and even Unitarians, right? So a broken clock's right twice a day. So even all these NAR people, because it's hard for me to think that they're not like, maybe you could say like God's using what was meant for evil for good or, you know, turning what the devil, what you could, whatever. But my question is like with all these, like even NAR people or these big televangelists or like the television preachers, because um, it's hard for me to just like pronounce like you don't believe in a Trinity straight to hell. 
Um, even though these people may be like, what's a trinity? I've never heard that. Um, yet they got saved in like a Unitarian church or something or from like a TV guy, um, you know, who you would say is Nar and has the wrong Jesus and God is a force or something like that. Um, they can still spit out the correct gospel. So if you're saying they insidiously mean like, you know, their gospel is God is a force or the Holy Spirit's a force that they can use and bend to their will. Well, the people, you know, with a needle in their arm at 3 a.m. watching church TV may never know that. They just may know that, oh, there's a Bible and Jesus. So my question is, um, I don't, I, I guess more than a question, I just like to hear your thoughts about that. Like, they they are still doing some good work, even if them and their close followers who know their true meaning are damned heretics. Or, um, I mean, you certainly wouldn't say stop preaching, right? I mean, you would probably say, well, you know, you can get saved by these people because they're they're giving you the gospel, um, even if you think it means different things, because the person hearing it is only going to hear the bare bones. Like, yes, repent, follow Jesus, and then if they grab a Bible and go their own way and they have they keep following the correct gospel, well, thanks, Nar people, you you managed to get this person saved even if you yourself may not be. What, what are your thoughts on that? So, yeah, I, what I, I would agree that, you know, understanding and believing in the Trinity is not essential for salvation, okay? Now, let me, let me make sure that everybody understands what I mean by that. Like you said, Nate, somebody can be completely ignorant about the doctrine and be like, the what now? The, the, the Trinity, what now? And, and that's... That's fine. Um, what we say is that after having been in Christianity for a long time and you study these doctrines and you start rejecting core doctrines, like forget about the Trinity, let's just say we reject the virgin birth or we reject um, the divinity of Christ or something along those lines. Um, you know, that then shows that that salvation experience that you had was not valid. Because true Christians will, um, you know, understand and will be guided to correct theology. That's the, that's what I believe the Bible teaches. But to to answer the the larger question about like false teachers and you know even a broken clock is right twice a day, God can use anything. He used Balaam's donkey, right? <laughs> um, he can he can do anything he wants. Does that mean that that false teacher gets credit for anything? No. Um, would, would God have a desire that those false teachers stop being teachers? Yes. Um, I also think that once you have been a false teacher um, for something like NAR or something like that, that to stay in your existing ministry without shuttering it and then maybe I'm not saying they can't be teachers ever again. I'm saying that, like, so, for instance, if Kenneth Copeland decided to repent and actually start preaching the actual biblical gospel and, and repented of NAR and all the other nonsense, um, I think that the correct prescription would be that he shutter his ministry, sell off all of his assets, probably give it to the poor, um, and, uh, you know, and then he could possibly become an elder in another church somewhere down the line, although I think he's in his 80s. Um you know what I'm saying? So I think that right. false teachers, you know, like in the scripture, like Jesus, like Jesus even says in Revelation, you know, like that woman Jezebel, you know, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he's not real happy about her false teaching. Right. Yeah. And, and this was more not not for the teachers, but like for the for the recipients. Um, 
because yeah, like you know, yeah, it's I can use anything. It's it's easier for for me to you know when there's some. I mean, you know, there's someone like Bob that like goes out of his way to like kind of like mock the Trinity um, and stuff like that. Like that just seems like super sketchy ground. But if there's someone that's like, you know, I I believe Jesus. You know, he saved me, and you know, I I don't really I don't really follow. I'm not a Trinitarian. I haven't looked into it. Um, but like. I, I have a real hard time saying that person's not saved. Um, but if it's someone that's like, yeah, God laughs at your Trinity. Ha ha ha. Your Trinity is crap. I'd be like, eh, I don't know. That's, that's a sticky wicket. But like, yeah, anyways, that's kind of where I was going. Cause I know we have different thresholds and you're like, are you, I mean, I know you don't use the word Trinitarian anymore. Or are you trying not to, but if someone's like, I'm non-Trinitarian, then you're like, you're firewood for hell. <laughs> and I just, I have a hard time saying that without like, um, I don't know, digging deeper. I mean, I Real quick, Tyler has some good stuff to say. Hit it. Yeah, um, Charles is saying stuff in the comments about this distinction being contrived. Like, for one, like the distinction is between non-resistant non-belief, which is a real distinction, and then resistant non-belief. Right. So, the idea is that the resistant believer or the resistant non-believer his intellect is not pointed towards the same object of our faith. It's pointed away from it as a rejection. That's what it means to be a rejecter, right? So that's, well, well, that's what it means to be resistant. Whereas non-resistant, non-belief, they're still pointed towards the same object of our faith. They just don't have the necessary tools to discern exactly what that object is in its clarity. So one is pointed towards the same object just less clear, less perspicuous to them, and one is pointed the complete opposite direction. So think of it this way. We have varying degrees of intellect and clarity, even with amongst Trinitarians. Um, Chris's intellect and his concept of the Trinity might be much more advanced than other people's concept. Are we to conclude that the object of their faith is different? No. There's simply a difference between the clarity of the object of their faith, which is the point that I'm making. Whereas a resistant non-believer is not even, their intellect is not pointed towards the same object in the remotest sense. So that is the distinction that I'm making. And you can say it's philosophically contrived, but that's not an argument against a distinction. You're just making an assertion. But Non-resistant non-belief. Yeah. Um, specifically with respect to certain doctrines now some people think that it applies to like atheism like there are non-resistant non-belief uh, atheists but the bible teaches otherwise but the concept is still used in philosophical discussions to talk about different types of beliefs you can have like and whether you can be like uh, unknowing and not resist a certain uh, belief I would like to add something. Hey, D, welcome. Go ahead. I think um, this is where the intent comes in because um, at the, when, I mean, you made a good point, Nate, when you said that Jews um, will put up other um, rules in order for you to not deter, to get, to break the initial rule. But in the same essence, it's like when you, if the core belief of the gospel does not include, you know, oneness or Trinitarianism or um, whatever 
other labels of how we see God is not in the core gospel, it's very hard to tell someone that they're going to go, they're not Christian if they believe in the Messiah and what he stands for and what the message is and how to spread the message. Um, I know there are some things that are completely extreme and are not biblical, which, which is what we should be held to. But, you know, it's not as clear and cut because, I mean, I've listened to Charles and I know he's not a Trinitarian, but I can't, I don't have a hill to put someone in, you know, and I don't see him as a heretic. I, if you believe in the Messiah and what the Messiah stands for, then this is where the intent and the heart comes in. And this is when, you know, our Heavenly Father is the judge. Um, I Did think you, say you don't being, have a hill to put someone in? No, I don't have a hill to put someone in. I like in. that. <laughs> I, I, it's a few people that I would choose to throw them in there, but you know. So I just think we should just, like, I can, you know, I, I just think we should be very careful um, with understanding what the gospel is and how to spread the message. There are some people that are, are very fringe and on the extreme. And like what you said, that's when you start seeing those red flags, when it's starting to, you know, take people away from what the message truly is. Um, and then as you grow in the spirit, I, there are some people who see it as a oneness concept. There are some people who see it as a Trinitarian concept, but these are concepts that, you know, were not completely, completely plain. And, you know, it says in the Bible, write the vision, make it plain. And it's not really that plain to someone who can just pick up the Bible and just read it without having any type of understanding of what concept is what they wouldn't just naturally read into it until they just started, you know, re talking to other people and growing in the word and that aspect and having other people's opinions and then seeing it in there. Like I, so I just feel like it's very hard for us to just, you know. So, so let me ask you, let me ask you a question. When I mentioned the virgin birth, why is the virgin birth required to believe in Christianity? Um, so it is, uh, from what I um, understand, the lamb had to be pure. So if the lamb was pure, it couldn't necessarily be a true, um, a natural human because we are all born into sin. So it had to be a pure lamb unblemished um, in order for it to be, well, in order for it, in order for um uh, Yahshua to be the sacrifice. Um, so that is my reasoning of why, you know, it had to be a virgin birth. But where does it say that in the scripture? Well, it was a sacrifice that it's in the scripture about how, you know, when you make an atonement for sins, um, what type of lamb you had to choose. But so, where does it say that about Jesus? Where does it that say that Jesus had to be pure? Um, he, he was the sacrifice and he was the, I see what you're doing, Chris. Uh -huh. You see what I I'm see doing? What doing? <laughs> the logical <laughs> implication of scripture. I but I, I would say, I would say, and, and please, if y'all can hear the music, it's not mine. I'm in fact, it is very hard to hear you. Oh yeah. That is, Where are you? Are you at a club at 943 in the morning? I, I'm, 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 this, this. Right. 
Is that he's, toxic he's, by he's, Britney Spears? Why do you have that, and why do I know that? Yeah, look, it's, it's question on question. I, I would just say, just to be fair, you we, we believe in the virgin birth. <laughs> That's the thing that'll be fair. Just to be fair. Uh, Chris, do you want to go ahead and uh, walk through where you're going, Fed? So everyone, uh, everyone isn't left holding uh, holding a half. I, I don't. I, analogies are bad. I sure, don't know where sure. I was going. Uh, walk us, so, walk us home. So D D caught what I was doing because um, D is very smart. So here's the thing: is that we, according to Matthew twenty two twenty nine, when Jesus was confronted by the Sadducees, and uh, he gave them the answer that. God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, right? Um, He is using the clear implication of scripture from the Torah to prove the Sadducees wrong. And the reason he can do that is that we are responsible for the clear implications of scripture. The problem for a non-Trinitarian belief system is that the implications of something like modalism changes the nature of the atonement and it turns the atonement into nonsense. And so the the problem that our oneness friends have theologically is that there's a whole bunch of stuff that makes absolutely no sense in their worldview and they can't justify it. Okay. And so the reason that we have the doctrine of the Trinity is because the Bible describes a whole bunch of stuff that is all true at the same time. And only the concept of the Trinity is able to synthesize all of that into a coherent doctrine. So with modalism, you're going to have multiple Christian doctrines that are going to be problematic or not work. Um, you've got the problem of Potterpashianism. You've got the problem of, uh, you know, how PSA works. You have a whole problem with, um, you know, the incarnation and the nature of, you know, the humanity of Jesus and taking on the, the incarnation, uh, to the essence. And that changes the mutability of God. Like there's pretty much, there's a rabbit hole. Once you accept modalism, you cannot accept all of the tenets of Christianity that just doesn't work logically. And so, you know, I, I love um, my oneness friends, but they definitely have some theological issues that they haven't and are not able to work out. Chris, I have a question. Of course, I would just, I would just say, of course, I'm not in the club uh, this early in the morning, nor have I ever been in the club. I'm going to the club. Uh, as as it violates what we believe about the teachings on holiness, that uh, I would say that you know, I would say that the teaching of the oneness of God is the only doctrine that can hold these things consistently. But because I cannot dispense it with being very clearly, I have cycle pictures of a little bit later talking with you about that. Just to have a quick conversation, I think I can be very clear, but I kind of just pick it up with him. I don't think I heard Brandon. Yeah, it's, a, it's a lot of worldly music in the background. Bruh, Charles, bro. Let me just read what you said, bro. I said, I didn't use the term levels of Trinity denial. 
You said, I didn't say you used the term, though. You're doing it again. Now let's go to the previous message. Now, where is your levels of Trinity denial derived from? You're attributing that to me in the conversation. Uh, like, you're just being a sophist, man. And then you changed it to most folks can read that as my analysis of what you're saying, rather than me saying that you use those exact words. Well, for one, <clears throat> you said that that's not what I, you said that that's not what you were attributing to me. And then when you were corrected on that, you know, OK. Anyway, here's the point. Here's the point. The object of your faith is opposed to the object of my faith that's the issue the object of a person who is not learned in the faith is not necessarily opposed to the object of my faith that's the distinction the intention you it's almost as though you don't realize that words don't in and of themselves have meaning unless we ascribe a concept to them and so the concept is what our op is what our intellect is tended towards. Is what we're pointed towards. Like uh, when people have different languages, they're not saying different things. Like like, like suppose like uh, I say this food is good, and then someone else says, uh, you know, canam est uh, bonus, right? It means the same thing. It's just in two different languages. The concept is the same. The concept communicated is the same. So that's the point. The intentionality of our faith is towards the same object, the same object as the patriarchs, even though the patriarchs, some of them, for or let's just go with Adam, for example. Did Adam know that the Messiah would be God incarnate? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But his faith was in the Messiah because his, he was pointed towards, you might say, the object of his faith, which is God, God's promises. So... Look, man, I, I don't know. I don't know how else to. Yeah, I just think you're being a sophist. I had a phone call. Sorry about that. Can <laughs> someone catch me up for the last two minutes? Uh, I don't know. He was having a conversation with someone in the chat. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead, D. Yeah, I, I want. Well, I want. I, well, hang on. Before your question, I just wanted to say maybe to end this. Like, I mean, there would be some like you know good sense that maybe we should just all stay. I mean, uh, of course, we wouldn't want to do this, but I mean, you know. If we all just stayed on the milk of the word, right, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, um, the, the trinity of Jesus, did Jesus have the father? Did Jesus have the father? Don't know, don't care. Just just stay on the cross. So, I mean, you know, it would probably, there'd probably be a lot more people in, in correct doctrine, although it not fleshed out if we did that. However, of course, we can't do that because the Bible tells us to get off the milk and get to the meat. So that means, uh, you know, that, I mean, that, is that going to be where some people hear, hear, you know, the sheep hear his voice? And others don't because they start out like on good soil or good ground and go so far down that other Christians will say, no, that's wrong. That's incorrect. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of quagmire, which sounds bad and confusing. But on the other hand, his sheep know his voice. So, you know, trust God, follow God. Um, and let's see where everyone ends up. But, yeah, D, what's your uh, question? So then you made me think about another question. So I have two questions. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when... So, because that's another thing that just concept popped into my head when it was talking about the milk. But, and it is, and I could be wrong, in my opinion, the milk is the fruits of the spirit and not necessarily philosophizing over 
the Trinitarian or oneness because I was a Trinitarian. And as I think about the examples that I thought were related to the Trinity, you know, there, it sounds like it's more of a modalist concept. And that was my level of understanding. Oh, that's what the Trinity means. But so I feel like that's not maybe the, the fruits, the actions of this is the gospel, pick up your cross and activate and go out and do what he taught is more so the fruits of the spirit and the patience and the long suffering and the, you know, those are the things that I would consider being on the meat. Um, I mean, cause Christ didn't teach the Trinity. And then, so then my other question is, so um, again, as a person being from a concept of I'm a Trinitarian, I've heard the, the on clubhouse, this is the first time I've ever heard this, that he's co-equal, the co-equal situation that Jesus, the spirit and the creator are co-equal, equal. I don't know, is, is it just in essence or in the totality, but I hear that concept. And then when I um, read the Bible and, you know, Jesus himself says, you know, the father is greater than me or you know, I don't know the actual verse. So then that made me think like, am I a Trinitarian? Like I, I understand the concept of Trinitarianism, but I don't think that they're co-equal. I think that our heavenly father is the most high and they all are in that same essence that represents Yahweh. But I don't think that they're, they're co-equal. I think that Jesus was the word, you know, and when our heavenly father speaks, that's him speaking. And so now I'm like, Am I even like compare? I mean, is it Clubhouse? I'm not a Trinitarian, so it just well, it starts to get crazy. <laughs> well, to, to that equal part, I just point out, like you know, I mean, that would be yeah. I mean, this this will tie into the first thing, like the the milk and meat of the word. Like you know, I feel like that I believe the milk of the word is you know death or resurrection of Jesus, right? Get eternal life. That's the milk. Like that's your baby bottle. That's going to give you sustenance. That's going to give you eternal life. That's going to get you to a good place with God. So that, that's the milk of the word, the very essentials. And then the meat of the word, kind of like what you're getting to, like the doctrine, like the Bereans, right? Like they fleshed out script, uh, scripture to make sure they believed, you know, not just people, what people were telling them was right, but they backed it up. They, they checked the scripture, you know, daily to see if what they believed was really what the scripture said and was in line with it. So that would be getting to the meat of the word. So when you talk about, you know, equality with God, Jesus being equal with, with the Father and everything, um, that's the meat of the word, getting into that. So where you say, you know, the Father is greater than all. But then more meat, like if you got potatoes, let me throw some steak your way, because you, you need the totality of Scripture. Like the Bible says in Philippians 2, 6, Jesus being equal with God, like being in very nature God, didn't consider his equality something to be taking advantage of. But so right there it says he is equal with the Father, but he instead like chose to humble himself and took the form of a servant. So I would, you know, I would counter your potatoes with that steak. Um, as far as the meat of the word. But if no one ever knew that, if they just stayed on a baby bottle, they shouldn't do that. They should learn, they should grow, but they're good with God. But then if you want to go go down, you, you really need to go like all the way down. Like, you know, have that like 72 ounce steak in under an hour to get it for free. Um, that type thing, because if you if you hear one verse that says, well, well, Jesus is not equal with God because it sounds like he's saying the father is greater than all. What does that mean? Does that mean we're not a Trinitarian? But then it's like, okay, well, you need more scripture. You need more meat. Because, you know, you want to make sure you're accurate. So don't just take part or clips or snippets of a scripture, um, you know, take it all, which, I mean, you know, I, granted, I just gave you another snippet. But by the time we read the whole Bible, I mean, I think this, this starts to make a lot more sense. 
But like Philippians 2 6, like he's totally equal with God, yet didn't take advantage of that position, humbled himself. Uh, anyway, so that's that's what I would say for both of those. Uh, anyone? Trying to speak, Brandon? Uh, if you're trying to say anything, all we hear is clicking and clinking. Uh, Dee, did that did that speak to your questions at all? Or yes, that does speak to my question. So, no, I I understand that. I do know that verse that you're speaking to. So you know. So I, I mean, I get it. And so that's so. With all that being said, as everyone is fleshing out the scripture, um, and other people can find counter scriptures, this is that is exactly why it's like, you know. Yes, get on the meat. Get on the meat is exactly what we should do. But if you, but the basic necessity to get there was the milk, and I think that's when the intent kicks in, and then that's when our heavenly Father, you know, knows His people. The sheep hear His voice. We all are going through this journey, so that maybe if oneness is not the correct way, when if people who are in oneness come out of oneness and they go into the Trinitarian view, they can speak to someone who is a person who is a oneness and be able to walk them out of that or or the trinitarian way and it goes both ways but i just feel like you know jesus cross and him crucified repent and turn like that's why i like you made is repent and turn <laughs> repent and believe, repent yeah, and, believe. Yeah. and that is yeah. that is the message is repent and believe and that's and I, why I, I see here and love and it. i think god forgives i mean god forgives crappy doctrine like only he knows where that cutoff <laughs> is but i think a lot yeah. of people try to like try to tackle the like try to tackle the meat of the word before the milk you know like atheists or agnostics who you know like don't understand the milk or, or don't understand like the meat of the word and like or muslims or whatever someone who has missed the milk completely like they're they're like a not even a newborn baby and they're trying to like you know pound down a steak um and i think that I mean, that um, that's just scripture playing out. It's like, look, you can't expect to like eat this meat and understand what it's talking about if you're not even going to get the milk. So like if Paul talks about spiritual discernment is necessary and we see this play out all the time when people are like, well, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe you're God. It's all lies. But explain the Trinity. And they were like, OK, well, you're not going to understand it. And then, you know, we'll spend a lot of our time. And sure enough, they don't understand it. They're like, well, it's so illogical. It's so confusing. It's so this. It's like, but you're so on its face, you're doing something like the, the book says not to do. It talks about, you know, you need to start with the milk, start with Jesus, get saved, get eternal life. And then God himself is going to make all the stuff like more clear to you. Um, so if you're not willing to do that and start in the milk. There's no wonder that you're not getting these like deeper spiritual truths. Not even just about the Trinity, but it, it, anything. Uh, Brandon, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I was thinking about that Philippians two passage and said him being equal with God. I think it's isos, the same word that's used in Acts eleven uh, when it says instead of equal, I believe it says like uh, says it gave him the like or the same Holy Ghost. I was curious on everybody's thoughts there because I think sometimes when we think of like equal. In the English sense, we think of like a type of scale thing. But curious, what what what's your thought on that word's usage? Um, does it mean like on a scale type sense, or does it could it also mean the same? Well, let me turn there and let's see what. Um, who's the other guy? Nino, welcome. Do you have a question while I look this uh, word up? Yeah, I just wanted to throw in a question. 
Uh, what about uh, John chapter one, where it says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. Does not that make the word equal to God, the father? I mean, I mean, if you if you want to be strict, even someone that believes, you know, they are equal. I wouldn't say that verse. I mean, that verse would say Jesus is God. But this is like trying to, you know, get the meat before the milk type thing. But I would say even the, the strictest reading of that. Or, or trying to make that verse fit to equality, um, wouldn't on itself do it. Um, it just means Jesus is God. So if we believe Jesus is God is a triune being, um, you could still technically have unequal parts of God. Maybe someone would, someone may make a case that no, if you're truly God, you you have to be equal. You can't be unequal. But I, I mean, <clears throat> as much as I would like that verse to say that, being fair to the text, <clears throat> I don't think you could. You'd have a hard time reading it in there. Um, I think the Philippians one, but uh, or Philippians two, would be a better case. Uh, let's see. Um, okay, so yeah, let's see. Esos—that's the word. Yeah, I mean, not a Greek scholar, but I mean, it, it seems to say equal in quantity or quality. So. In every sense, like I know you, you put some choices out there, Brandon, but it seems like in, in every way um, you would say it's equal this way and it's equal this way and it's equal this way. And it's so in every way that that word could be used, it could be considered equal in every way, not just like one way, meaning it could be unequal in another way. Um, but it seems to suggest quantity or quality. So in every in every usage of equality, that could apply. No, that's my thoughts on that. Now Brandon's going to go into a strong concordance <laughs> or lexicon. Uh, Chris, you still there? Or Nino, do you have any uh, other questions? Or no, I was just uh, interested in what you think about uh, the verse in John chapter one. Yeah, I mean that's what I think. Like, and I'm someone you know who who is making the case for you know Jesus being equal to the Father and equal to the Holy Spirit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think John 1, 1, like, and, and one all the way to like 14, like the word is made flesh and dwelt among us. And uh, yeah, like, I think all that points to, to Jesus as clearly God. Um, but then to, to say it's like, just by saying he's God, does that automatically mean equal? Um, no, like, like just the way you read that. No, it doesn't say that. I believe that, but that verse doesn't say that. I think Philippians 2, 6 uh, does a better job of that. I think, uh, well, as a Trinitarian who's familiar with um, with the Greek, I would say we got to be careful because that's that is what it's saying, right? Because um, John is saying what the Father is or what God is, the Word is that by very nature. So it's saying that the Word by very nature is what God is. So if the Father is God, right? And John wants to portray the word as being the very, um, hold up here, I'm on traffic right now. If John wants to portray the word as having the very nature of God, that's exactly what John 1-1 one, one does. So it certainly does uh, do a lot. Um, also, I'm about to go in a minute. I just wanted to come up and say something briefly. Um, 
Nate, did you say that as Trinitarians that it could be possible to think that there could be unequal parts in God? I uh, no. Like everything you just said, I totally agree with. I was just trying to be, be like devil's advocate and be like the hardest I could against that position, um, okay. you know, to be fair. But I, I agree with everything you said. <clears throat> that was me giving like, what's it called? Like a, a, what's it called? A false, a false stance or a false position. Or I was just trying to like be very, very fair to the other side. That, would, But no, I, I, I believe and agree with what you're saying. Okay. Well, false I'll, stance, I'll... I think that's what it's called. No, well, devil's advocate, you, you mentioned, if that's what you were doing, then yeah, but um, real quick, though, did you say, oh, I'll, I'll make sure that I, I didn't mishear you, that there, you could be a Trinitarian, or you could, you could think that there are unequal parts in God, or that there could be parts in God, would you agree that, there, that God could have parts, or that he could have unequal parts? No, I would not. I said some people could try to say that. Okay, but you would say that God can't have parts, right? Yes. Okay. So you you affirm divine simplicity. Yes. You okay. don't have to. Uh, you don't have to burn me at the stake just yet. <laughs> well, just the way that you had. That's why I was asking because the way you had phrased it, I was worried it was something else. But thank no, you. No, no. I, I, yeah, I was. I was trying to say like if someone wanted to wanted to say. Uh, was it Philippians or John I was saying that for? Or, or no, no, I was saying like if they took John that says Jesus is God, then it doesn't automatically say um, in that verse. Uh, you're making a lot, of, a lot of feedback there. Let me just mute you real quick. Um, but it doesn't say in that verse that God is equal, and it doesn't even you know it doesn't even make a case outright for the for the Trinity. Again, I believe it does, but just reading that verse alone, um, it just says Jesus is God. And then I said, well, if someone got to Jesus as God and then they believe in the Trinity on it, like they could still try to argue and say, well, just because I believe Jesus is God and just because I believe the triune nature of God now, now I, I don't have to automatically say that God is uh, the Father, Son, and Spirit are equal. That would allow them to then say that there are unequal parts of God. And again, I'm saying they would say this, which I think would be an error. I don't believe that for a second. But just okay. for, for the, the, the gray area that verse allows, um, with that verse and nothing else, that's what I was saying. So those right. people well, could I'm do that, into, but they would be wrong. Right <laughs> now, but thank you for clarifying that. I'll be back in here. Sure. Uh, Jordan, what's up? Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes. Um, I was just wondering if you had an answer for this question. So I'm thinking about this, like, like God grounds objective morality, right? Are, are you asking if I think there's a objective morality and it comes from God? Yeah. Sure. So that means it's like outside of what we want, what we want, like. It's objective, right? It's like outside of what we want to happen. Well, it's regardless of what we want to happen. So, I mean, there could be some person, like if God says don't murder, and if you do, that's objectively wrong. I mean, I also don't want murder. So, I mean, it's, that happens to be what I want to happen. I think murder is bad and immoral. So just like we would say God would say, but if there's someone that's like, no, I really want murder to happen, well, then, yeah, it would be outside of what that person wants. I just don't see why you need, like, God. It just seems like this extra sort of, like, 
this sort of like extra thing that you're positing that like you don't need to have objective morality and if if god is necessary then you gotta you gotta give an argument for that like an actual argument well i I mean i think the the real argument that i would give which wouldn't even be an argument it would just be like erasing this whole debate would be um at least i wouldn't make the case well on, on one hand okay so immediately to answer your question we don't need god for morality we just believe there is a god who has morality and everything comes from this god so it's not like a we need it's like a we believe this is how it just happens to be um that being said the the deeper argument i would go to which there's no one can prove or disprove would be i believe that you know if god is responsible for sustaining everything in creation if there was not god we wouldn't exist and if we did manage to exist which we wouldn't but if we did then everyone would be 100% absolute pure evil. So it is necessary for, for God to exist, first of all, to make sure we exist, because if we don't exist, we're not having this conversation. And then all the people who say, you don't need God for morality, I can be a good moral secular humanist without the belief in a God. Well, sure, by secular worldly standards, but the only way you can do that is because you're still created in the image of God, whether you believe that or not. Um, and again, that's the deeper uh, type, I guess, philosophical argument that no one can prove or disprove. That's just my belief. But more, more immediately, yeah, you can be good without God. Uh, you know, with the caveat of what I just said, God doesn't. If God's not here, we don't exist. But yeah, you can do good moral stuff without God. That's fine. But, but also, Christianity is not about moralizing people. Like, there's a moral component, but there's another layer. And I'll, I'll shut up in a second. But Christianity ultimately is not about making bad people good. It's about making spiritually dead people alive. Um, that's the point lots of people gloss over, and they just stop at morality. It, it's more than morality. Morality, you should you should do the right thing because you know it's the right thing to do. Like, there's this interesting thing where it's like, is something good because God commands it, or does God command it because it's good? I'd and say those are not mutually exclusive. Then what's the third option? No, no, that, that would be a dichotomy. Not mutually yeah, exclusive. Yeah, if you're saying it's a false exist. dichotomy, then what's the third option? No, I'm not saying it's a dichotomy. I'm saying that they're not mutually exclusive. Like, you can have both. Like, God can, is something can be good because it's good, or God can command something because it is good. That's one. And it can also be good because God commands it. Yeah, you can have your cake and eat it, too. We're, we're talking no, about exclusivity, no, if, not dichotomy. If, if God commands it because it's good, that means that like goodness exists outside of God. And if something is good because God commands it, that means goodness exists in, like with God. It's a part of God. You can't have both. I think you can. I mean, I, I've heard people go like really philosophical, and I think they would side with the I, I don't know the whichever thing you said that like if it doesn't exist, it's or if it exists and God commands it because it's good, it's outside of God. Like, I, I've heard that, and that's, like, deeper than I go, but for practical purposes, God says murder's bad. Don't murder. Without thinking who came first, the chicken or the egg, murder, uh, not murdering people is good. God commands not murder because it's good. So you, you can have both. And if you want to, I mean, yeah. if you want to go, like, the, the levels you were going down, you can do that, but I, I think I would just stop because I, I feel like it's unnecessary to go that far. Well, I think murder's it's bad. really important, but either way, like, if he... If, I guess if it's both, then if we think about, like, he's commanding it because it's good, that means, and also if goodness 
is outside of our beliefs and desires as humans, then that means it's it's stance independent. It's outside of our stances, like what we what we you know desire or, or want. Uh, and so, if there's like goodness that exists that stands independent, but it's also the case that God commands something because it's good. So then it would all and it stands independent. That means it's it's outside of God's stances as well, because it, it well, would it would be stance independent. Right, but if it stands independent, that doesn't exist, and we don't exist. Like anything, like for the Christian paradigm, whether or not you believe it, it doesn't matter. Like under the Christian paradigm, if the, if there is anything that is outside of God, it does not exist. So like it's only in a very technical philosophic way. One of those examples could even, could even have a basis. And it's just like a mind game because under the Christian, I mean, if we're talking to Christians under a Christian paradigm, anything that God is not sustaining and upholding, if it was outside of God, it would not exist. It could not exist. So we're just talking about stuff that doesn't exist. So then you'd have to, it seems like you'd have to concede then that goodness does not exist. No, I think goodness can be very much within God. Like, um, what I mean, what is good? Like, gosh, I, I hate to go down this trail. But like, you know, if we, if we can just agree, like helping a little old lady cross the road is, is good. Well, that, that, everything about that exists within God. So like the old lady, the road, the road she's crossing, us, us helping her. Everything in that scenario First of all, if it wasn't God sustaining it, it would not exist, and that that scenario wouldn't play out. So everything existing in that scenario, the air, the oxygen, has to exist, and so that has to be in God. So then, if if God says, you know, we should like like whatever Bible verse you can use to justify helping an old lady across the road, like you know, help visit the widows or or the help the suffering or you know stuff like that. So if you can use one of these things and say, okay, therefore we can get to God. God would command us to generally help old ladies cross the road. Um, so that's good. Well, is it good because it's good? Is it God commanding it because it's good? Okay, check. And Or is it good because God commands it? Either way, like you, you have to modify that. You can't say something is stance independent because if it's stance independent of us, fine. But if it's stance independent of God, that conversation cannot happen under a Christian paradigm. Because well, nothing just, just is. Just think about it, though, because like what I'm dialing in on. Because it's very clear um, that you're saying it's both. Uh, what I'm dialing in on is that when you're saying God commands it because it's good, that's that think that like think about it. That implies that what is good is independent of God's commands. So so the standard for goodness um, is sovereign and independent of God. There's morality without God. That's the whole issue. So, but you said there can't be anything without God, <clears throat> so there wouldn't be goodness. Right, and I'm saying you can, both things can exist because for all intents and purposes, both things can exist. Okay, well, let me try a different way. Okay, so let me take the thing that is not stance independent. It can't, can't happen without God. Let, let me try a different angle. So, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, it's pretty clear, but I, I, I guess I wasn't. Um, so for all intents and purposes, both can exist. We can have our cake and eat it too. <clears throat> but yeah, so the other thing then. The thing that cannot exist without God, just in line with the Christian paradigm, because nothing can exist that God is not sustaining. Yeah, I guess it seems it seems like you'd have a contradiction here. Um, you're saying that goodness, on the one hand, exists independently of God, which is a direct entailment by saying that God's commanding it because it's good. 
the standard of goodness there is sovereign. And on the other hand, you're saying that it's within God. It's part of his nature. So it seems like you have a contradiction. <clears throat> well, I mean, but, uh, to be yeah. well, yeah, I mean, it may seem like that, but to be fair, I, I tried for like ten minutes to explain my real position, and uh, apparently, I just I you haven't really explained it. You just said I don't want to go that deep when when we've tried to you know do philosophy here. I mean, I, I, it's okay, but if, well, no, that's to your yeah. thing. I, I tried to like I tried to tell you that for you, and I tried to explain mine how nothing can exist without God. So so anytime you're about to to then say. Okay, well, this this you're just saying this uh, is stance independent, and this exists without God. That I, what I'm telling you is that's a hard rail that says you cannot do this because, like the perimeter I said, is nothing can exist without God. And I guess I just failed at explaining that. So I'm, well, I'm, I think what's happening is like you you're trying to change the predicate concept. So there's this thing, and it's a really simple idea where if you have like if we're thinking about some sort of concept, there's like a predicate of that concept. And that's sort of what like we dial in on when we're doing a conceptual analysis. But if you're if you're gonna say that you want to change the content of that concept, almost like you're adopting uh, a further analysis, like a concept of that concept, and and holding the same form, which is goodness in this case, um, that to escape the contradiction, that doesn't work because now you're not talking about goodness. You you can't keep the form in that way and, and change the, the predicate concept. So you, you'd actually just be changing the entire concept itself, the predicate right. and subject concept of the proposition. So the point is, is that I understand you're declaring it to be the case, um, but it doesn't work like just rationally. It doesn't work. You should, well, you should like do some, some analysis yourself on this, this issue. If you really care about it. I, I do care. And even though some things, you know, could be taken kind of insulting. I'll forego that. I'm not trying to do the things you said. I'm trying to con correct what I see as a faulty premise. Like, can something, is, is it good because God commands it? Going back to your original premise, it's a false predicate. That's what I'm trying to correct. So I'm not trying to move. I'm not trying to change. I'm trying to say the basis on which you're asking the, this very, like, premise one is faulty. And, and under the Christian paradigm. So that that's my claim. That's what I'm saying. We could talk about, you know, citing evidence or sources, which, you know, I may as well prove God can't do that. But I'm saying just in its inception, it's flawed. So I'm just trying to, like, set up things on the correct playing field under the Christian paradigm. Well, so, I mean, remember, like, so, I mean, because I don't I don't know if maybe we're at an impasse here because you're not <clears throat> like seeing my point of view. Maybe I'm not com communicating it very well. But when you say, like, declare uh, that, you know, God is you know, ground of all being or whatever, and, and nothing can exist without outside of God. I, I think that that's sort of like a, a, a necessary entailment. So can you, can you demonstrate the entailment there? Can you give a deductive argument for that proposition? So I, um, let's see. The first thing I'd say is I don't know about a deductive argument because I think this is where we butt heads and talk past each other. So, you know, I would, I would like to think that I'm understanding where you're coming from, but you're not understanding where I'm coming from. So I, I could entertain what you're saying, except if I did that, I'm basically, you know, just wasting my time because from my point of view, th this is a wasted argument because the, the way we're talking about your argument cannot happen under my worldview. So it's just like, I'm, I'm just like, okay, well, we can talk about this, 
but it's going nowhere and it's completely meaningless versus anyway. So let me try this instead of a deductive argument and, and proving anything. No, I'm sorry. No, I'm no. sorry to cut you off before you start, but it's, it's because it's, if X is necessary, you're deducing that, right? So we need a deductive argument. Otherwise the, you know, the proposition can't be necessary. Okay. So for example, um, let's see if this fits the bill. And I am not a philosopher. I actually hate this. If most of the people are here, I run from philosophy because it's so vapid and vague and worthless. Um, anyways, not to disparage this conversation, but I, that's generally my outlook. Like philosophy is good for practical application at a certain point when we start going well, well beyond where we've come now. It just seems bad. Uh, anyways, so let me try this. Uh, premise one. Uh, I, I, don't even, I, don't even, I don't even know if I can do that. Okay, so God exists because God exists. He sustains all, or God exists, God sustains all things. Nothing can be sustained that God doesn't sustain. Therefore, God sustains all things. Conclusion, God cannot, uh, nothing can exist that God does not sustain. There, how'd I do for someone that hates this conversation? Well, well remember, like, so you kind you kind of need to buy into it because the whole thing is the argument for the proposition that God is necessary you're starting by saying God exists. Yes. Right? Yeah. So that's, there's like, what's the argument for that? The argument that's for that is that, Oh, okay. So, okay. So if we're on the same page, as far as if what I said is proven and true, then I've got a point. Right? Oh, it's not. So, no, it's not. Cause premise one ah, is false. Right. I, I just said, assuming everything is true. Like I'm not trying to do gotchas. I'm just trying to like move along. So uh, just I don't assuming, want to assume everything's true though. No, I, I'm saying just do that for a placeholder. Like, okay. you, like, I, I, like, if I believe what you're saying is false, I can say, okay, let, let's assume what you're saying is true. Now what? So if I agree to everything you're saying, now what? Like, I can do that for what you're why, saying. Why, why would we do that, though? You just gave a deductive argument. I, I'm saying one of the premises is false. Because this is the whole – right, because this is the whole point. Premise one is, is false. First of all, prove that. You cannot prove God does not exist. You're, you're giving the I argument. Can. You're making the claim. Right, I, I'm making you. Right. Well, okay, you just said premise one is false. You just made a claim. Congratulations. That's We're not, in the same that boat. doesn't mean the burden of proof is on me. If you're presenting an argument, okay, and I point out that one that premise one is false, it's not on me to prove premise one is false. You're giving the argument. You have to you have to demonstrate how it's true. You can't just right. declare that it's true. I, I'm I'm trying to give you the whole thing, which is not going to be proof, and that's what I'm trying to say. Like you don't need to tell me the burden of proof is on the one making the claim. I know that. We're in. I, I believe me. I get it. What I'm trying to say is, if I can prove premise one to, for this argument, then I may as well just forego this entire argument and just prove Christianity. And then that's subsumed in that conclusion, and this argument doesn't exist. So not only, uh, you know, can it, it, asking me to prove premise one is the same thing as asking to, you know, prove Christianity, the God of the Bible is true. So if I could do that, I would much rather say. Well, let me instead of proving premise one, let me prove Christianity and prove God over here, so we don't have to have this philosophical conversation. So you can just be one of these Jesus-following Christians. That's what I would rather do. However, I see what you're it saying. is, and then the yeah, last thing I, I'd I say before you, uh, but the last thing I'd say because this is important because I'm not going to say proof. Ultimately, it is a faith-based thing and it is a claim position. So, I mean, I guess that's our impasse. Like, I can't prove the claim I'm making, nor do I feel like I should. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I see what you're saying. The thing is, is that if, if, when you're if you're presenting this argument 
I'm asking you, I'm saying premise one is false. I think premise one is false. There's no reason to believe that. But you um, have to prove that. And, and, and you're just saying, well, I don't want to try and prove the premise. I don't want to try and show that the premise is true. I'd rather just step away from the argument and, and uh, demonstrate that Christianity is true, which is fine. But then you'd have to at least concede the argument and say that premise one is, is false. And that the Wait. argument may be valid, but it's not true. It's not sound. And so no the prop no. because then if the, if the argument's not sound, then your argument that you gave supporting the original premise or the original proposition is is not uh, true. So then the proposition is not true that God is necessary. So now you're going to be trying to demonstrate the Christian faith already with the entailment that God is not necessary. That'd be very hard to do. In what you just said, you've made the biggest leaps you've made in this discussion. So no, it can it completely fails. I, there's no reason to think, because I hold a faith-based position that we all agree on. I agree it's faith-based. You agree it's faith-based. And just because I cannot prove Christianity, I cannot prove God, does not mean I concede. Just because absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Just because I'm not going to concede that uh, because I can't prove God to you and prove God is necessary, um, that I conclude that, uh, that I concede premise one is false, that God exists. There's no reasonable expectation that anyone should think that. The most ardent opponent should not think that. And then also, you've just gone through multiple times, and I'm not trying to, like, you know, be that guy that's, like, tit for tat, but, I mean, you can't just say there's no reason to believe premise one or premise one is false, you said, multiple times. I mean, I guess you could say there's no reason you should be convinced, but to say it's abject false is to say God does not exist. That's a very bold claim. Um, so when I say that, I say, God exists. I believe this. Uh, my experience, you know, I believe I have subjective evidence to believe this, yet I acknowledge it's a claim. So if you want to say the counterpart to that and say, sure, okay, well, you don't believe there's reason for to be convinced and, and you lack of, you remain at a lack of belief or you don't believe God exists and that's your claim that you can't prove, just like the counterpart to me, then fine, I accept that if that's what you're saying. Um, well, remember Based again, the burden proof. You you're presenting you're the argument, so you'd have to you'd have to demonstrate how premise one is true. You you come right, you right, come right. with the argument, and you, we're not just <clears> going <throat> to assume that that all you know that the whole thing's true. But go to the first thing you said, real quick. Um, when you're saying that the the original proposition that God is necessary, it's it's a thing about faith. Do you mean to say that at that point, maybe at that like most foundational ground level, it seems like that's a very foundational sort of thing. That it's just sort of there's no really reason to believe it. It just is the case. No, I said subjective evidence. Me, like my subjective evidence. But before we, but before we talk about that, and I, I have very limited time. This is normally the day, the time of day I run away. But I'm sticking around because I don't want to feel like I'm running from this conversation. But I, I mean, we're here every day for like two hours. But this is when I usually end. But just to try to like conclude this. And if you come back here tomorrow, that's wonderful. But. First of all, I said it's subjective evidence. So my, the totality of my existence, like everything about me, uh, you know, historical evidence, the Bible, eyewitness testimony, spiritual experiences, spirituality, this like insight I believe has been spiritually imparted to me by the creator. So in a nutshell, that's my totality of subjective evidence. I'm, I mean, not the natural stuff, not the history, not the archaeological stuff, but like my spiritual journey, my life. That's my evidence. That's why I believe um, this, this faith is not like some blind, uh, amorphous faith. It is. It has very good grounds to stand on. But whenever you again talk about it, like if you want a debate trophy, fine, you can have that. Like I have no interest in that. Like you, you can win the trophy because I can't prove something. But I would also skip that, give you your medal, 
And then I would challenge the whole thing because we're not talking about tangible, concrete examples. We're talking about very, very deep philosophical stuff that no one can prove. All we can do is lo like logitize, like through trails of logic and reasoning, get to a conclusion that may seem reasonable. But that means if there is someone else that's like, oh, Nate, you're forgetting this point. Here's how you make a proper deductive argument about premise one. And then you're like, oh, crap. And then the guy on my side that came up with a better argument is like, see, I win. You have to concede. And then you're like, well, no, hang on, hang on. You research a book. You Google some stuff about philosophy and this, this stuff. And then you come back. You're like, actually, I have another argument. So the fact that someone may one-up an opponent in this doesn't speak to anything. There's an answer for everything. So th this is probably yeah, still so, going so the on. One, I just want to conclude with this, and it'll be really quick. It seems like you, you almost forked yourself there. In chess, we have a term called forking. I don't know if you play chess, where you kind of put yourself in the chess, position. Like the yeah, well, you basically have these these two options when, when that you put yourself into. You're saying that um, it's ba the, the reason – There's no the, so it's either the case that there's no reason to believe that God is necessary, to believe that proposition is true, in which case you'd be, you'd be a Christian fideist um, and or, or – like you said, based on your subjective evidence, which is even worse, because if if it's based on your subjective evidence, subjective experience, that experience that you're having, um, it's it's the technical term is it's non-propositional, it's non-inferential. You can look into these terms after, and and you know there, it is true. It applies to what you what you said, and if that's the case, then that means that they depend, they're contingent. These experiences on a meta justification, which seems fine because that would be God. So God is the meta justification. Now, now the issue is, is that if these experiences that you're having are non-inferential and also non-propositional, then they're also going to be epistemically autonomous. The way that you know about them is going to be autonomous from other subjects. It's going to be private to you. And it's also going to rely on the meta justification, which is God in this case. But the issue is that if, if it's uh, dependent on meta justification, then the actual um, like knowledge that you have of your own experience can't be justified because the meta justification for that knowledge is outside of the system of experiences that you're having. What I mean to say is that God is this ultimate meta justification. It's completely detached from you, okay, in the sense that he's not providing a direct justification for your beliefs. So therefore you have no justification for your beliefs, so you have no knowledge. And if you have no knowledge, then you can't have any uh, – you know, meta justification for your knowledge, which is God, because because on this view, you'd have to you'd have to couple together epistemology and ontology, since the meta justification is grounding the entire system of experiences that you're having and, and beliefs that you're having. So it's just a really irrational position. Okay. Either way you slice it, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna be caught up in a contradiction. Is the issue? That, okay. That's so the whole hey, thing okay. I'm trying to point out. Right. But. Okay, so you said a lot. So my evidence for why you are not quick is the conversation we just listened to, which was not quick. Okay, so first of all, I understand. I actually agree with your conclusion that what you said would be irrational. However, you misrepresented both forks. I won't even dispute the forks. Let's just say, uh, see, I don't believe it, but I'll say let's just assume that's true so we can move on. I did it right there. Um, okay, so you misrepresented, misrepresented both forks. I never said you can have something that God is not necessary. I've consistently been saying God is absolutely necessary. Otherwise, nothing exists. And to the other fork, when you're talking about like, – well, that went to the other fork. But to the other point about when you were talking about how 
see, if you say God isn't necessary, which I never said, that's a misrepresentation. I specifically said God is necessary, but I think you were hearkening back to something must exist. Uh, if God can say something must exist, that would say God's not necessary because it would exist without God. I'm saying no, just because. I'm in the affirmative that both things, both things can happen. If you take away one of those things, then the other by nature doesn't exist. So we may have been talking past each other where I'm saying you can have the affirmative of both, but you can't have the negative of one. And I think you may have been saying that from the other side, which is maybe why you're, we were talking past each other for the confusion. Um, this going the back next to thing the same I would say, thing, though. Well, hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. I, I let you talk a lot. Hang on. As far as the subjective evidence and why there's no justification for my belief, I'm just going to say I, I wholeheartedly disagree. Like, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because there's another point I really want to make before I get a run. Um, but subjective evidence is perfectly fine. And we could talk about how that is. People act like it's a bad word. We live by subjective evidence every day. Empirically, the things we do, I can't necessarily test and repeat, but the things we do, touch, taste, smell, see, our senses, things that happened, visions, dreams, like people will get superstitions by subjective evidence. It doesn't mean it, it, it just means it's data you're taking. And if you can't third party verify it to someone else, it's not a bad thing. That's all it means. But the point I really want to make is, and thanks for being cordial enough, uh, but the point I really want to make in, in my closing, which will hopefully be quick now, is let me demonstrate why I hate these conversations. So if philosophy is something near and dear to your heart and you like that and you want to talk about the existence of God or, or reality or matter or whether or not we exist, I understand. Um, the reason I hate this is because, you know, I mean, it's in the title, Ask a Christian, right? So the whole point is to explain what Christians believe and what we believe from a biblical perspective. So by the time we're, we're down so far down these rabbit trails, um, my purpose here is what I just said, right? Like explaining what I believe is, is Jesus, the God of the Bible, the way to quick and easy eternal life. So let me ask you, I don't mean to be preachy, but I guess I do for like 30 seconds just to make a point. So um, after all of this is said and done, no matter what kind of conclusion we came to, if I concede, if you concede, if it's a stalemate, like it seems neither of us are conceding, my purpose in this is Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's correct. Christianity is correct. He, we believe he died for your sin, rose from the dead. If you believe this, if you stop doing what's bad, repent, ask Jesus to be born again and given eternal life. Um, he says, you'll be saved. You're cool with God. He'll live with you and give you this eternal life and guide you how you should live your life. So that's my ultimate goal here is to tell people that. So with that being said, why I hate these conversations is having heard that, does any of that strike a chord with you? Would you like to investigate following Jesus or having eternal life? It does. Life it does actually. And I'm, I'm in, in terms of like pure, like high level sort of thought and like, I, I'm, I'm, you know, almost convinced of Christianity. But the, the thing is, is that my view on so – I would be convinced of orthodoxy. My view on salvation is that we could only do it through the church. Okay, so we can I mean, leave I that alone. I don't believe in sola scriptura. Uh, I think okay, sola okay. scriptura – how do you build a, an infallible foundation from fallible people? You know, it just, I, and, and Luther was a drunk monk who threw out seven of his books. Like he, he, he doesn't – he's not credible. Okay, so I, I – I like this conversation more because at least it's not where we were. Um, it, it's still far away from where I'd like to be, but this conversation I actually like more. I, I really hope you can come back. Uh, I am going to have to go now, but the point in closing was I expected you to say something like, you know, I'm an agnostic or I don't really care about that or I haven't given it much thought or I used to be a Christian, um, which, which is mostly what we get, which is the point. It's like, okay, great. We've just talked about like, you know, what Paul calls in first Corinthians 12, uh, you know, man's wisdom and how it's just, it's foolish, it's folly. 
because before long, you know, I don't know if this conversation would have got there, but it usually tends toward hard solipsism and people are like questioning whether or not they exist. I'm like, if this is not the, the foolishness of man's wisdom, the Bible talks about thousands of years ago, um, nothing is. So it talks yeah. about spiritual wisdom. And I think but for, for both of, for this conversation, even the philosophy stuff, if just one little thing is wrong, if just like, if someone makes a conclusion and, and that like solidifies them one way or another towards or against spirituality or which one's correct. And they make basic conclusion on all the stuff we talk about. And just one little thing is not perfect. And one of those little things are a little bit flawed. Then they could be drawing a false conclusion, a, a conclusion based on false premises. And that could like completely screw them in whatever direction they're basing their conclusion on. And that would be really unfortunate. So, I mean, we have to talk, we have to live. But I would, I would just leave us all, me too, to be reminded of that, that be, be, don't be hesitant to withhold judgment, because even if we think we're right or we think we have all the nuts and bolts of things, if we're wrong about just one little step along the way, that can throw off our entire conclusion and we can base it on lies or false things. I mean, so can anyways, you agree before you go that Luther was a drunk monk? I don't know about the alcoholism or not of Luther. I haven't looked into it, but as far as Sola Scriptura, we're not basing uh, anything on the on, on, like false men. Like I don't get my spirituality or my religion from Luther. And you know, by the way, other other Protestants would talk about what about um, the deuterocanonical you know, the, books? What about them? What about them? They're, they're in the New Testament. They're referenced in the New Testament. You you Protestants, okay? I think the thing is, you're afraid of authority. I think that's what it is. I think that you submit to these these this this fallible foundation or, or it's infallible, but how do we get a fa infallible foundation from fallible men is the whole issue. And you, you just, it's, it's completely ahistorical. It's unbiblical. Uh, Jay Dyer explains this very well. I think you should watch Jay Dyer made a video specifically on Sola Scriptura. I'm not, familiar, I'm not familiar with that video, but I know Jay Dyer quite well. I like a lot of his takes. Except you, I mean, unless you've watched like everything I've ever done and said, I, I think maybe you're maybe like pigeonholing me into like all of Protestantism. I mean, you know, like Calvinists are Protestants too, and I'm not one of them. So, I mean, um, you know, I would definitely ask you um, what you, I know you said you're leaning toward orthodoxy or whatever, but I would definitely want to ask you about individual beliefs before I pronounce judgment. But I'd say I'm not, I mean, you know, that could also be turned around. And of course you'll argue. But, um, you know, if people say, well, you know, the, the church, the authority is still based on fallible men. Like if you look at the early church fathers, a lot of them were like when they didn't have the full, uh, you know, before the Bible, before they had all the scriptures collected, when they were just writing different letters back and forth, like you've got Augustinian letters and things where like they tiptoe around heresies because they don't have the complete works yet. Like we don't have the Bible. It's like while they're gathering all this before it was done, like some of the like most respected church fathers are like just right on the edge of heresy in some of their letters, not trying to say it's doctrine, but when they're writing to other church fathers, like, you know, questioning things and asking about clarifications, it's like, well, clearly these are fallible men. So I, and I know you would say otherwise, and, and but I'm not basing my uh, religion, like everything I just said to you, right? Death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Like my whole goal is to, to have the scriptures. And, you know, I think thanks be to St. Jerome for having a hand in that and compiling the Bible. But, um, Ultimately, it's not about what Luther or Augustine or any of other human person says. It's we have the Bible. So I, my goal is to live as close as I can to Jesus and the first century church. So before we have church fathers, I, I mean, again, I know there'll be difference. You'll say like, you know, 
the first church father, maybe Peter. But I mean, what we commonly know, right? Like um, Ignatius, like all these other people. So that's my goal. So by the time we talk to Luther, I'll probably agree about what, a lot of what you have to say. I don't know about his drunkenness, but I mean, sure, whatever. He's, I don't care what Luther has to say anyway. I mean, if he says stuff that's true, just like church fathers, right? Like even in Catholicism, you've got like the Nicene Creed, you've got the Apostles' Creed. A lot of this I agree with, not because I'm taking their word with gospel, but because I see that they've pulled these things directly from the scriptures. So it's not like I, I'm at war with these people, but also Christ is my authority. So I know we've been concluding for like 20 minutes, but I mean, if you want to take the final thing to address, like my ultimate authority is Jesus. My ultimate goal is living as close to Acts and the first century church as possible with no other data. So anything that came after the scripture, I mean, I don't want to take that as authority. I don't want to take that as tradition. The, the end of my theology stops at the first century church. Um, but yeah, if you want to... Oh. oh, he took off. Maybe I went on too long. Anyways, I guess I... Oh, what the heck, Chris? What the heck? Bro, I was programming a router. I was busy. I've been in Christian hell for the last hour. What? what, what? Oh, no, you know, my favorite my favorite topic, just like deep, deep philosophy. So, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll recap. Gosh, um, my kids are going to be mad. They're like, Daddy, where is dinner? Can I have another papa? Um, anyways, I'm not really neglecting them, but it probably is time for lunch. Um, now, this guy came in. Does anyone remember his name? I don't remember his name. Anyway, so Jordan? he was just like, yeah, yeah. And like the first thing, I'm like, all right, man, I'm thinking in my mind, like, I have to go. I'm like, all right, man, what's your question? He's like, Oh, God, I, I've already forgotten. Um, if you want to torture yourself, watch the replay. But it's basically, does God um, does God say what is good because God commands it, or what is good is good outside of God commanding it? And then we spent the last 45 minutes talking about that. And it was just this back and forth of arduous, like, you know, misrepresentations. And he's like, make a deductive argument. I'm like, premise one, God exists. Premise two, this. Like, I, I was channeling my, channeling my inner bubby there. It's like, well, you have to prove God exists. I'm like, no, I don't. It's like, well, the burden of proof. I'm like, oh, give me a break. Get a medal. I don't care. The burden of proof is something. He's like, premise one is false. I'm like, you just made a claim. Prove premise one is false. He's like, well, that's not what I'm doing. You made the claim. I'm like, listen, I'm not trying to prove God. Like, if I was trying to prove this seductive argument and premise one is God exists, I would just prove Christianity to you. And I'm like, I'm not saying I can prove Christianity to you. It's a faith-based position. God can prove that to you maybe, but I cannot. I'm saying outright. This is my claim I cannot prove. So, and it's just like things like that. Uh, anyways, and you came back like just in time for him to leave. Oh, he also had questions about church fathers? Oh, we, we just got into that. Like I was trying to demonstrate like how, how much I hate these, why I hate these philosophical conversations. And um, anyways, I, I was like saying, okay, look, man, we've talked about this. Like if you love philosophy, great, I get it. Let me show you real quick why I hate it. And I was going to, um, I, I was going to be like, you know, here's why I'm here: Jesus, death, burial, resurrection, eternal life. Does that sound good to you? Would you like to be a Christian? Um, you know, expecting him to be like, oh, I'm agnostic or I'm an atheist or you know, I hate your God or I used to be a Christian. What you know, one of those normal answers we get. Anyways, he's like, well, actually, um, I, I am interested and I'm considering orthodoxy, and then just like totally shifted to that. Um, anyway, so I was trying to be like. Look, this is why I hate this, because it's, it's utterly useless for telling people about the gospel. Um, 
anyway, but yeah, then he started talking about like orthodoxy. And he's like, I don't understand why you Protestants, uh, you know, you have a problem with authority. I'm like, well, I mean, God's my authority. I don't have a problem with God. Um, he's like, Luther was a drunk monk. I'm like, you don't know anything about me, bro. I'm like, why do you think I take what Luther has to say? Like, you know, my, my goal is like, believe the Bible. Thanks Catholics for putting that together for us in large part. Thanks uh, St. Jerome, I guess. Good job. But I mean, you know, my, my ultimate authority is Jesus is the Bible. So I, by, by the time we get to Luther or the second century, I don't care. Like acts, that's where I want to be like Jesus first century church. That's where I just want to stay. Um, anyways, and then I, you know, I guess he took off. <laughs> yeah, Luther. Luther drank just like anybody else. The idea that he was a drunken, crazy person is just nonsense. It's ahistorical. I mean, there's dozens. I mean, literally dozens of biographies of historical biographies of Luther. I mean, pick one up. They, re, they, I have I think they have them down to the third grade level. So if he wants to pick up a third grade reader about the life of Luther, that would be, you know, more accurate than whatever nonsense he's trying to say. Yeah, and, and that, and that's the thing, right? I'm like, I don't know if it's like taught in, um, you know, whatever he's coming from. I, I mean, I, I don't think he was orthodox. I mean, you know, take him his word. Who knows? He said he was leaning that way. Um, so I don't even know if he is, um, but he was leaning that way, at least he says. But yeah, like, I, do they just think if you're not Orthodox or, or something like that, then you worship at the footstool of Luther? Like, that's like the last thing I'd say. Like, forget all of that. Well, I mean, they don't, they don't know what they're talking about. Like, I've never met an Orthodox, even their teachers that have any idea what they're talking about, because they don't write anything down. So, so like, so like they just change it, and you're just like, wait a minute, you just said, you know, that's why Matt Slick does this whole thing where he'll type out what they're saying, and then he'll repeat it back to them, and then they'll be like, I didn't say that, and he's like, no, 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 seriously, I just typed it out exactly what you just said, um, because again, they don't ever write anything down, and it's just, it's completely frustrating. And Matt is like, I'm, am I taking crazy pills here? I literally just typed what you just said, and now you're telling me you didn't say that. <laughs> oh well, I mean, and, I just. Dude, is, is that time. a thing? Is, is that an epidemic among Orthodox people? Because that's exactly what happened. Like, we we're talking about, like, different premises, which I hate. I can't even believe I get sucked into that world, but I didn't want to think that I was, like, you know, running away because, like, it's way past time I usually go. So I, like, stuck around and entertained it um, to my peril. But I'm like, dude. And he's like, so I just let the guy talk. And I'm like, look, you can have both. God, God can command what is good, and God can – However, however that's said, like I'm, I'm, basically my point is you can have both ways. You can have your cake and eat it too. And he took that as something can exist. So you're saying go goodness is stance independent of God. I'm saying, no, that's the opposite of what I'm saying. It, something cannot, something that you're saying exists outside of God does not exist. Like that's the Christian paradigm. So I've heard people say, like, I think the first way was right. Like uh, it was maybe Tyler or one of the other, you know, more philosophically inclined people were, were saying like it, they, they took one of the other one trail but I was just saying I take both trails, and this is why in my amateur philosophical brain, but you can have both. So I'm not saying – anyway, basically I said both parts. I'm like, no, God can command something like, hey, don't murder people. That's good. Um, it's also good because God commands it. So like either way you switch it, you can have both. That doesn't mean it can exist without other. I'm saying like both can exist um, without being mutually exclusive. Both can exist, but if you remove one – then that doesn't exist. 
So like it can be good because God commands it, and it can also be God commands it because it is good. But if you take away the it exists, one or the other, then neither exists. Anyways, I'm ready to kick my cat at this point. Oh, anyway, so he took what I was saying and basically did the inverse. I'm like, I just told you, and, and you've like 100% like said backwards to me what I said. Ah. They're really good at that. Yeah, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. That's a great way to explain that. Yeah, I mean, we had we had an Orthodox guy last night that me and Jesse and the other people were dealing with, and he was completely impervious to logic or any other type of new information. I was like, well, have you heard of the Synod of Thieves? And he's like, no. And I'm like, cool. Have, okay, it's also called the Council of Robbers. And I was like, because he was like, no, the early church was all, you know, perfect and love and unity and... Yeah, <laughs> you know all this stuff and i'm like yeah let's read about this and so i posted this article it was you know it was, it was direct quotes about the com what was called the council of robbers it was called the first the second council of ephesus and it was right before it was two years before the council at chalcedon and basically like alexandrian and antiochian monks um were going out and taking um uh, rods and beating uh, people to death, like Western Christians beating them to death at the council, like in the streets. <laughs> and I was like, yes, it's all filled with love and wonder and unicorns. It's Candy Mountain. It's Candy Mountain. <laughs> candy. <laughs> oh my God. Was this South Park? What was Candy Mountain? Candy Mountain was just an internet thing from like 10 years ago. And it was like the Charlie the Unicorn. Oh, you shared it to me. Yeah, Charlie the Unicorn, Candy Mountain, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's Candy Mountain, you guys. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And then it's like, then you actually start actually reading history and you're like, oh, crap, like, man, this was only like 449. This was not, you know, 1549. This is 449 and they're murdering each other over doctrine. You know, I'm like, yeah, this is not the true church. The true church doesn't kill people. Like, can we all agree to that the true church does not go around murdering people? But, you know? but Chris, we love them so much, so we have to murder them because we love them, Chris. Yeah, exactly. And then, and this, and this dude was just like, that never happened. And I'm like, <laughs> bro, this is like a primary source. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. Like, I mean. I'm going to believe the people that were there and then the other people who wrote about it. And I was like, look, here is the Bishop of Antioch who had to um, go into exile in disgrace because of what his people did at this council. Oh yeah. That never happened. I'm like, he wrote about it. Are you going to tell me that like, <clears throat> like the dude who was the Bishop of Antioch that wrote about retiring into disgrace and having to be exiled from Antioch. Like, are you telling me that never happened and that was just made up? And like that dude wasn't actually the Bishop of Antioch. Is that your claim? Like it, it was unbelievable. Like it was just, I, I mean, people, and, and we see this with Hebrew Israelites, right. And, and, and all other stripes of, of heretics is that people become impervious to new information. So. I completely agree. I mean, that's like the atheist Ten commandments, right? Like their the commandment, non-commandment number one 
um, was, you know, be open to new information and taking new evidence and be willing to make new decisions. Yet so many of them violate that first non-commandment. Coming from a Christian, right? How crazy is that? Nemo, don't pay any attention to Baptized by Jesus. Baptized by Jesus is a very special cult because he's the only one in it. Um, and uh, Patrick uh, Patrick has, has definitely his ideas about all sorts of things. But don't take it personally, Nemo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's for Nino and Chet. Um, yeah, you have anything to say before I run away, Nino? Yeah, <laughs> you say, um, I thought you said you were an atheist, but then you're a Christian, or are you considering, or what? Are you? No, I'm, are you? I'm, a Christ, I'm a Christian. I was an atheist until I was 23 years old. Oh. But I've been Christian since I was 23. I'm 48 now, by the way, so I've been Christian for a few years. Is it hard being a Christian in Norway, or is it pretty easy because people just leave you alone or not? Uh, well, yeah, exactly. Just like you said, it. It's Norway is very secular. So, uh, like, talking about your faith is not really something that you do a lot over here. Like, uh, over in the U.S. where you are, it's much more free. Like, people talk more openly about God and faith and stuff. And uh, here in Norway, it's, like, more quiet. And uh, I've even experienced uh, in work life, you know, if I had talked about God or faith, uh, you very quickly get shut down. You're not allowed to talk about religion. <clears throat> so uh, that's a bit challenging. It's very, very secular here. Uh, but otherwise, uh, society is very free, so you don't experience any persecution or anything like that. It's, uh, yeah, life is just very normal and, yeah. Hmm. Is, uh, is, is Norway getting, like, have they got more... Um... I know Sweden like took in a lot of like Islamic migrants um, a while ago. Did and they're I, I guess experiencing lots of religion in their culture, whether they want it or not. Is Norway like that, or did did you not take in? Did, I guess do you have a lot of migrants of faith, or do you not not have yeah, um, a lot of that? Nor Norway and Sweden are pretty much uh, very much the same. You know, we we are neighboring countries here in in the Scandinavia, so. I mean, Sweden has more uh, inhabitants, uh, so they also have uh, more immigrants than Norway do, but it's pretty much the same. But Sweden has uh, had some more, like, challenges with uh, uh, not, they have not uh, managed to integrate uh, all of the immigrants uh, that well, so uh, they have uh, experienced a lot of uh, uh like bad uh, things like uh, shooting and like crime and and killings uh in like gangs and stuff like that which has grown up from this immigrant communities so they have had a lot of uh shootings and killings in this uh environments uh, and that's a big issue in sweden and it's not that big of an issue here in norway uh we do have some incidents but not as much as in sweden well, I wish they would hire Chris and I to be their consultants because uh, we could tell them pretty quickly and probably cheaply, you cannot integrate people who do not want to be integrated. <laughs> yes, but, yeah, uh, I understand that. But I'm glad you're here. And yeah, stick around. Like usually, oh goodness, like if your brain's not melting out of your ears, mine is. Like I, I, I cannot stand like deep philosophical talks like, like that. But um, 
usually it's more uh oh yeah and by the way yeah ignore that bad guy baptized bad guy baptized guy or you know listen to him at your own peril but i mean he's he's a little we like him he's he's friendly enough with us sometimes well he gets cranky sometimes but i mean uh yeah he's, he's definitely got some very unorthodox um doctrines of demons <clears throat> Yeah, I read some of his comments in the chat, and uh, I noticed uh, he wrote that the Trinity is John the Baptist and Mary and the Holy Spirit, uh, and that's a bit strange, I think. Did he did he tell you you got to cry to be saved yet? Have you heard that one? Well, he, he I mentioned that I had uh, an experience of going from atheist to being a believer, and then he asked me uh, what my experience was and if I cried. And I replied that no, uh, uh, I meant, when I said no, I meant that I didn't cry. And I said my experience was that God revealed himself to me and gave me a call. So he called me, yeah. But how he did asked that happen, the by the way? If I cried. Yeah, how it happened with me? Uh, <laughs> well, basically, uh, I think I mentioned that my, uh, my background is Macedonian. Both my parents are from Macedonia. And uh, I'm born and raised here in Norway, so I grew up here in Norway, and I grew up with Norwegian schooling, so the truth that is uh, kind of preached in school is uh, science and evolution, so I really believed strongly in that, uh, and I was an atheist, uh, and then, uh, but my background and culture as a Macedonian is Orthodox Christianity, and uh, I have my, on my mom's uh, side of the family, my great grandfather was an Orthodox priest. And uh, so on my mom's side of the family, uh, they have practiced uh, uh, believing and faith. Uh, and uh, my grandmother was a prayer warrior. And uh, my mom also uh had the habit of praying or all, all her life but uh, not in public so i would not never see her pray but he would she would pray for herself so uh, it was kind of through my mother that i came to faith and the way it happened was that she worked as a nurse uh, all her career in the main hospital here in oslo and uh, through her work she had a colleague which was a doctor and also a pastor in the seventh day adventist church and so they were colleagues and became friends. And he, as a theologian, has also written several books. So their friendship uh, became a friendship between uh, his family and our family. So we used to visit each other and for dinner and eat at uh, each other's places for many years. And then uh, he, my mom received a couple of his books uh, at some point in time. And we had him at home for many years. Uh, and I had not noticed them. And then and suddenly one day when I was at the age of 23, uh, I just noticed one of the books uh, on the kitchen table and I noticed the title and the title was, uh, Do Healthy People Have to Die? Question mark. And uh, I always uh, had uh, interest in, I was very idealistic as a person, even though I was atheist. So I, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke. I was into doing sports and training. I was eating quite healthy. So I was living a very idealistic life as an atheist. So the title caught my attention and there was a picture of a man jogging or running on the uh, book cover. So it said, why do healthy, uh, do, do healthy people have to die? So 
this uh, caught my attention, so I started reading it, and the book was about, uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the, the health uh, message of the Adventists, uh, Adventist Church, they have this health message, which are eight health principles. And in this book are uh, presented these eight health principles, uh, which are nutrition, exercise, clean water, sunshine, temperance, fresh air, uh, rest, and the final is uh, eight. One is trust uh, or trusting God. So there was one chapter for each principle, and I read through all of them. I came to the last chapter about trusting God, and he said, if you have all the seven other principles in your life, uh, uh, and don't have the last one, which is trusting God, it will be in vain because you will be trying to live a healthy life just focusing on yourself and you will not be a happy and complete person like that. And then it continued from that mentioning some examples from the life of Jesus and what he said about his importance uh, for us human beings. And there were examples taken from the Gospels that... Uh, he lived among a people that were proud of their culture and religion, and he would still say, I am the way and the truth and the life. Or he would uh, uh, walk outside under a blue sky, and he would still say, I'm the light of the world. Or he met people that had just eaten and were satisfied, and he would still say, I'm the bread of life. Or he met people who had somebody who just uh, recently died in their family, and he would meet them and say, I'm, I'm the resurrection and the life. Uh, and when I read those examples, uh, which I was familiar with from before in school, in elementary school, because we had Christianity as a subject uh, when I was a kid in school. So we had read the Bible at that time. And so I was familiar with these examples. So when I read them there and then in that book, uh, how they were portrayed, uh, I suddenly experienced uh, peace and joy that I never experienced before in my life. And, uh, and also I had a completely new thought which I never had thought before in my life, and that Jesus is truly resurrected and that he is alive. And that was a completely strange thought to me. So this uh, was a very strong experience for me, having this peace and joy filling me, and also the thought that he actually is risen and that he's alive. And that was my turning point. And since then, I've never doubted uh, God's existence and that Jesus is alive. And since then, I've been a Christian, basically. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, oh, that was awesome. That was such a cool testimony. I loved it. Yeah, you're welcome. Praise God. So, yeah, I, uh, since then, I've, uh, I just, uh, after that, uh, just this kind of sum it up shortly. After that, I started reading the Bible by myself. And uh, it took me about six months before I decided to visit church first. So I, uh, yeah, about six months after that experience, I uh, and I had been reading the Bible by myself. I I decided to go to church uh, in the uh, church where uh, that um, uh, man who was my uh, uh, mom's colleague at work, the guy who was a doctor and a, a pastor and a theologian, he he was the pastor in the Seventh Day Adventist Church here in Oslo. So I decided to go and visit there uh, in the church uh, on a Sabbath, and uh, I did that for the first time, Easter 1998. And uh, since then, I just continued going uh, all the time, and I've been basically going there since then, uh, and also became baptized uh, another six months later, 
So a, a year after I had my conversion experience, I got baptized and became a member of the church. Well, cool. It was good to uh, good to meet you. And yeah, jump back in as often as you like. I, I've been trying to. Uh, yeah, I do have to run to eat lunch, which is probably why Steph came back. She's like, oh, I bet Nate has to go. Let's jump in there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> nice to meet you guys also. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're usually here Monday through Friday this time. Yeah, Steph, so about Final Fantasy 16, I, I remember that conversation when, when you're, people were saying like it was bad or you, you're wondering if you should, you should play it or whatever. And I, I couldn't remember what the, the warnings were. I know you said you didn't like violence. But anyway, I thought, you know, I just want to check this out. Like, I don't, really, don't want to buy it. I actually I think you have to play it on like a good computer or PS5. Of, I don't even know if it'll run on PS4. But anyways, I'm like, you know what? Like, <clears throat> I think I'm past that time in my life, which is so sad to admit. I never thought it would happen. Where I just, I, I mean, you know, there's Fortnite and like mindless video games. But I mean, like really learning intense depth and stuff like that. Like the Final Fantasy fights are so long. And I used to get so mad uh, when, you know, I'd spend like 30 minutes and still have to do it again. So I'm like, you know, I, I don't want to do this, but I want to experience it. So I, I found these like professional people on YouTube that are, are just like masters. Like the game only came out, what, like a month or two ago? And yeah, these people like have had weeks. to have. Yeah. Oh, well, these people have had, they had to be like a play tester or something for it. Like, you know, they've played it like tons of times because uh, they're just like running through it. Like as soon as it says go, they just run through, do every right thing. Don't make a wrong turn. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. So you get to, it's 27 hours long. So like I looked yeah, how long it so took to beat short. the game. Right. And it said 30 hours if you just run through the main story. And it said 60 if you do all the side quests. Um, yeah. So this one is is clearly just the main story. Um, they, they do have them with like the side quests, it's, it says. But anyways, I'm like, you know, let's just do the main story. So I'm, I'm running through the main story. It's getting all the cutscenes, all the videos. It's in 4K, like H, Ultra HD. It is so pretty. <laughs> like all the shiny stuff. And, and anyways, so yeah, we're, we're watching that. And yeah, I, okay, I don't so like the wait, language. I think. How far <laughs> into it are you? I think four hours. Okay. Let me ask you this then, because I played through the first two hours. So my dilemma is that I'm a huge fan of this series. I've played all of them, but I'm now like, is this something that I should not do as a good Christian because it is so violent and there's so much sex in it? I, I remember you said that. So far, I haven't seen any sex. Like, I, I, I didn't even know that was one. I, I haven't seen anything like that. So if I'm four hours in and you've played two hours, I mean... Maybe you went on a side quest. Like, I haven't seen any of that. The only thing, I mean, the violence, I don't mind. Like, you know, people getting chopped up, that's, that's, that's fine. What, so, what game um, is this? It's the new uh, Final Fantasy 16. But, um, I have anyway, so yeah. I have on my table by the door, and I'm deciding every day I walk by it, and I wonder if I should return it or not. I haven't opened well, what? it. I just, There's well, what is the sex, sex part? in a video game for she children? There is. Well, okay. Oh, no, it's a so, material rating. But Listen, I haven't seen any sex, joined, so where is the sex? I joined the Final Fantasy 16 subreddit, right? So I don't know oh. if these are only in side quests, but I've seen the screenshots and like the, you know, it just, it seems there's a lot of nudity. There's a, They're saying really? that there's a lot of sex. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, if that and, happens, I'll probably stop, but I haven't. I, right, I that's no... my problem. Like, do I go get my freaking $65 back or do I, you know, play this game? This is the, the problem I'm having. 
what and is there this was an nudity? interview with the creators of the game, and he said that Final Fantasy has historically been too childish. Their fan base is aging out, which I was very offended by. And they yeah. said this is a game for. <laughs> no. And they said this is a game for Gen Z, which means instant gratification, lots of cutscenes, gore, and sex. And that's they said that's There's the direction that they took this game in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, so I mean, I'm four hours in and haven't seen a cartoon boob. So I mean, if if you want to play it until you see something that offends you, I don't know. I mean, if I watch it and you know there's like cartoon people having sex, I mean, I'll I'll probably stop watching it. But so far, like the worst thing is is the language, which I'm think which I mean is few and far between. But I'm thinking like as a player, like there's almost always a way in the settings that you can turn off like profanity. Yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking that, that I already looked into that. They even and there's on not five like on the PC you can apparently mod it like do that whole thing but on the playstation 5 which is what i'm playing it on you cannot turn off violence or nudity or gore well yeah i don't know because i mean that, that's just crazy because i mean i guess if they have screenshots and stuff i mean unless it's like a super troll i mean like the Illum illuminati like rewriting the bible i mean unless it's something like that i mean it seems like it's probably legit but i mean so there's a I, I haven't seen any indication so far there are two characters that there there's an incestuous relationship that develops and there is a scene that I saw a screenshot of with nudity and it's like a mother and son. Okay, okay. so I mean, so, you know, I'm going to say probably no one should play this thing. Right, okay. So th see, you got me back in the cycle where I was like, maybe I should play it. Okay, two questions. Did you watch Game of Thrones? And are you further along in your spiritual walk now than when you watched Cer Cersei and Lannister hook up? I would never watch Game of Thrones. No, that is not for me. I, think I would have nightmares. Bit Angel, like, what is that, like 10 minutes an episode? Yeah, that's not, that's not my thing. Nope. No, thank you. So if I can't do Game of Thrones, I probably should not be doing this game. I should return it. And at that point, I'd say, you know, it's kind of like one time someone was asking, they're like, well, I'm really into anime, and, you know, I, uh, it, Woman, funny enough, like on our, our whole podcast in front of God in the world, they're like, and a preacher's wife. I'm like, wow, yeah, you're just putting it all out there. But they were saying that their, their husband didn't like to, you know, have sex with them as much as they, they wanted to, and um, as a result, they know that porn is wrong, but they're like, well, what do you think about, like, <laughs> goodness, like Japanese, like they're into anime stuff too. So like, what about like anime, like cartoon sexual stuff? Because it's called I know real people. Is, okay. I didn't want to say it, but yeah, you're an artist. Of course you, you know. You know a suspicious anyway. amount about cartoon porn. It's the art school. Uh, so, so anyway, it was like all into like hentai and aliens and stuff. She's like, I know it's not real. I'm like, yeah, well, it's clearly not real. They're not giant green space aliens. I, I mean, I don't think, but, um, I'm like, well, at that point, first of all, uh, I mean, there's what the Bible says, right? Which we, we can extrapolate a little bit to maybe the cartoon world. But the biggest thing is what, what's the intent? Like what's going on in your mind? Is your mind meditating on the word of God or is your mind like, cause it's still sex based, right? So even it's not like real flesh and blood people, which by the way, they'll say, oh, it's not in real life. It's on a screen. Doesn't matter. Oh, it's cartoons. It's not real people even on a screen. doesn't matter. It's, it's still the thought is there. So um, I, I, yeah, I'm just going to be like, no, err on the side of caution. Of course not. It, it's kind of like, you know, the mommy porn, like 50 shades of gray that say it's mommy porn. Cause you're reading a book and it's not really porn. It's, it's mommy porn. But I'd say that's just as Ooh, bad or maybe that. even worse. Like when people like read like 
like you never heard that mummy porn like 50 shades of no, gray no that's how it's, horrific like, in, good oh uh, well how it's like how it's written in literature because then it's not like disgusting man porn where they're watching it on like computers or tvs or something um it, it's in a book so it's okay um and I, my stance is, it's not okay, <laughs> because I mean, maybe in some cases it's even worse because it's spurring your imagination to concoct and like really graphically imagine these things instead of brainless, just like oh boob, uh. Um, but it's like causing you to like have intricate, um, you know, mental acuity in concocting these imaginations and imagery. So I think in some cases that could be even worse by reading it. Anyway, all that to say, like, no, it's still what's happening in your mind is, is like your, your mind, like focusing its energies and in the process being more corrupted by the stuff you're imagining. Um, than if you just outright saw it. And if you're saying, if you just outright see it, that's sinful. How much more by, by like the corruption, like in your, in your brain that that you're using your brain power to, instead of just anyway, that was my thought. Wait, wait, wait. I know you got to run. Let me bring you back to this. So, with the with the Final Fantasy problem, okay, I have zero desire. I had zero temptation about Game of Thrones. I have zero. I don't like gore. I don't like sex. I don't like like none of that stuff. Watching it, it just seems to be soiling. And you know, I know other Christians feel differently on this, but I'm very Amish. I don't like this. Like, I have so little tolerance for it. The temptation is not there. The temptation with this game, okay, is that I love the series. I have played all of them. And this one, I know they have really good stories. They have beautiful art. The games are really fun. The characters are really dynamic. Like, there's a million reasons why I want to play this game. And the thing that's stopping me is the fact that I don't want this in my brain. So if on the one side, we have, like, I always forget his name, who's the author, the Christian political commentator who, who writes, like, gory, um, oh, my gosh, uh, uh, Craven. So he writes, uh, Andrew Clavin, that's it, Andrew Clavin, writes novels that have sex and grit and gore and, you know, um, and language, but they always have this Christian, like, message. And so he says that he doesn't shy away from the real life stuff because it is real. Christianity is real as well. Like, we don't, we don't, like, create this imagined world where everything is perfect. Christianity exists in this world. So he writes about what happens in this world, and that's his, you know, he defends that being in his art. I understand that. Oh, for heaven's sake. Okay. But I want to play this game and I don't know the balance between allowing vulgarity for art and allowing something sinister into my brain. That, that's think, my conflict. I think the, the best I could do um, with, with, you know, Nate's subjective advice is probably the same thing I'm going to do when I watch it. <laughs> um, you know, maybe a perfect Christian would be like, no. Never. I'll read the Bible more. That's probably the best answer. But probably the real answer is, uh, you know, watch it to a point, And if bad stuff happens, skip that cutscene. Like if you see, it's like, oh, brother, oh, sister. And they start like getting creepily close to each other. <laughs> be like, skip that cutscene. Go make yourself a lunch. Come back. Continue playing. Um, the the violence and gore. I mean, I can't help you out there. I don't. That's not my, my problem. <laughs> I think it's um, whatever. And and the language. I mean, y you know, um, grin and bear it and not like it. Or again, I mean, it happens. I think usually during cutscenes, just skip those cutscenes. So you may miss some scenes. You may miss some content of the game. Goodness, hopefully it's not too much. But um, yeah. I mean, that that's probably as far as as I have peace with myself going. Like if it gets too much like that, like oh. All right, that's bad. Fast forward. Oop, skip that cutscene. 
Um, yeah, and I agree with you a lot about like um, like books, right? Because I have like a Kindle Unlimited subscription. Read the Ask a Christian book available on Kindle Unlimited with subscription for free. Uh, anyways, but I have a Kindle Unlimited subscription, and I, I you know, the Christian literature that, that's decent is very few and far between. Is Steph on the phone? No, I'm listening. Go ahead. Oh, anyways, it still shows the red icon because, you know, Android. Anyway, but so I have a choice between like um, not very much. So it's like, you know, secular books that are, are real like gritty and, you know, that stuff. But I mean, probably um, not to a fault because it's like, you know, fantasy. It's like, you know, stuff like that. So I mean, it's not like overly grotesque, but it's like real stuff. But it's also my goal was to read Christian authors and read stuff with Christian themes. So it's like, well, do I want to contribute to the world's message of just like blah, like we don't care. We don't have a God. And like, you know, often themes of like other gods or like, you know, very atheistic, um, agnostic type message. I'm like, well, no, I'd like to have a Christian theme. But in Christian themes, it's sometimes it's like too cheesy. And it's like, oh, the man and wo woman are in love. And, oh, they're going to like unite their union. And then he kisses her on the cheek and then they go have lunch. I'm like, what? Okay. Um, so, I mean, it's not like I'm looking for like full on Game of Thrones, like brother, sister, like stuff. But I mean, you know, a kiss on a cheek. Like, come on, get, get, be a little more like whatever. Or if it's like in violence, it's like, you know, the bad guy, it's like they always defeat like the ultimate bad guy who's always a representation for Satan, just like always. I mean, I think they should, you know, they, some, some Christian authors should figure out a way to kind of dial it in, like Lord of the Rings, right? Like you can have strong Christian themes and not just be like so on the nose about everything. But it's like sometimes the bad guys need to just die <laughs> instead of being like, okay, you killed my whole family and you left me an orphan and, you know, you want to like in the world, blah, 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 but I'll show you mercy. I'm like, okay, we get it. Yes, that, that's the desired outcome. Everyone needs to be shown mercy. But I mean... Come on, in just one book, kill the bad guy. Well, that's exactly it. You want to balance between it being believable and immersive, right? So if you are reading something that is so cheesy and kitschy and hokey and, and you know, Christian-y, like you're describing, and I'm not, you know, you know what I mean by Christian-y. Like, it's fine. Uh, it to sounds have like we're bad, right? It sounds like we're bashing Christianity, yeah. but we're not. We're appealing to make better literature. Like, I want to read one Christian fantasy book that does not immediately have a reference to the king is away, but the king is coming back. It's like, yes, right. Jesus is coming back. We get it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And Narnia did that. And then it was good. And then they should have stopped. Like, that's it. We're, <laughs> we're good. We got that. Um, so, yeah. So it, you want it to be immersive and believable, which means that it's going to have literature, video games, movies, whatever that are from these Christian producers it's not going to be immersive or believable if it's got this very like fluffy feel to it. Right. And in our, we call that kitsch or we call like cringe, the cringe factor and that you don't, you don't want. However, do you go to the opposite end of the spectrum where you're like, you know, peel back your eyeballs and subject yourself <laughs> to all of this, you know, <laughs> it's sort of like, there's gotta be, there are plenty of good forms of art that have done this in the middle, you know, this in the middle thing where it's not gratuitous and it's not horrifying, but it's still immersive. And that's the, that's the balance I'm trying to parse out. Is that here? Uh, well, I don't predict it. Well, how about this? Well, this, no one's even trying to, Oh, oh, sorry. Right. With uh, this. Sorry. Yeah. With like, this, it's well, not like, like here, no one's even trying to be Christian, right? Like, I mean, of course it's right, not right. Christian theme, not Christian inspired. So uh, yeah, go ahead, Felix. I was just going to ask, how fluffy is the Bible? I mean, you get to chapter three and you see the first murder. 
that's that, a good point. That's true. The Bible doesn't really hold back a lot. I mean, Song of Solomon. I mean, uh, again, I mean, uh, I mean, it's there, right? I mean, it's not saying go out and do this, not go out and have a harem of women. But I mean, I mean, the Bible's reasonably detailed. I mean, there's a lot of violence in the Bible, <laughs> a lot of it, and you have you have to read those chapters. And I, I don't know about you, but I, 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 I picture it in my mind that what's going on. So I, I'm, I'm making the film in my mind. You know, violence like. David actually literally chopped Goliath's head off. What did I that mean, mean? Elijah and the prophets of yeah. Baal, right? I mean, that's that's no slacker. Steph would have to hide her eyes on that. There's rape. There's like the guy, the Levite that chopped his concubine into 12 pieces. I mean. And for the record, that was not a good thing. God was not cool with that. Like people went to war over that. So, um. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a good point. So the Bible has violence but then it's the bible so we say well we know the purpose that this is you know so i think that's the clavin thing right clavin is writing gritty novels that have this this christian theme and their fantasy and so then you know my husband has read the one uh, or listen he has like an audio novel of it another world and my husband is like the biggest fan he loves it but he's also an art and video game snob so it must be good like it must straddle that line very well right so you know, that's, that's the Clavin thing where he's taking this. In. But then when it's the Bible or when the author's intent like Clavin's is, is to preach the gospel in a way that is gritty and real, then it's acceptable. If it's Game of Thrones or Final Fantasy 16, I have this debate where I'm like, man, I really want to do this because I, re I hear it's a great story. And how much am I willing to pay to get that experience in terms of like, you know, my own psychological well-being i get i don't know you can watch the movie <laughs> or watch it on youtube yeah you know what my plan is here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna let you finish it and then i'm gonna let while. you give me the review well hurry up i've only got 10 more days well okay to, but like, i mean that's not fair either because what like we already knew there's violence which i'm cool with you're not um we already know there, there's language um so far it's not been too much but it's more than i mean i don't you know language for whatever weird reason that's my thing i don't, I don't like yeah i don't like lang language but um anyway so there so there's there's a moderate amount of that. Um, but if, if I go through it and like see little to no, like, you know, I don't see the brother sister thing you were talking about. And then I'm like, no, it's not in there. It's all lies. And then you play it and like three hours in, you're like, Oh no, I did a side quest that totally showed it. I'm like, Oh, well, I mean, that wasn't in what I saw. I'll <laughs> so, have um, to understand your caveat is that you didn't see any side quests. There you go. <laughs> I mean, I actually don't know that. Like, I don't know if I'm, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just watching 27 hours that's done by a guy that seems to be really quick and makes every perfect turn. Nate, here's so, what um, I need you to do, okay, buddy? I need you to buy this game, play <laughs> it, stop being lazy, tell me what I should do. I need you to get this done within the next three days, okay? Okay, well, a caveat. Um, I, I could do it three days from the time I start, perhaps, but I will buy the game. You will need to buy me a PS5 to play the game on. <laughs> Took me like, two this and a half years to get right? my own, man. PS I only just PS4 got it. can't even run this, right? It's not for PS4. No, it's just for PS5, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't even, yeah. You've got <laughs> a gaming PC. Come on, come on. Oh, no, no, no. I had a gaming PC, like, like eight years ago. It was awesome. Now, it, well, first of all, it has Linux on it. I've gotten rid of all Windows things, and it's, it's very out of date, so it can't run anything. <laughs> um. Yeah, sorry to let you down. What I mean, I would. Before, why am I even here? Come on. Spiritual counsel? I don't know. 
which was largely about, unhelpful. I think I'm just going to return the game. That's what I'm going to do. Talking, I mean, that's the safe answer. Err on the side of, of um, wow, why can't I think? Err on the side of caution. I mean, you know, you could always always put this and relegate this to, uh, you know, when you and Chris were in your really artistic days, like photographing naked people for, you know, art, um, which I thought was a little <laughs> weird, but okay. I drew them, but all right. Well, yeah, but you had to see them to draw them. Oh, yeah, Chris. Yeah, the, yeah Chris whatever he did. Photography, I did, yeah. Every well, sorry, I failed you. I'm, I'm just and fold. Yep. <laughs> oh, well, this is fun. Yeah. So, I mean, if I if I see any big things wrong with the movie I watch, but are, are you like really returning the game? Uh, yeah, I'm probably gonna. I mean, if it was forty bucks, I'd probably risk it. But it was seventy, so I'm probably not gonna. Probably not gonna well, keep. But yeah, go return it. Watch the same thing I'm watching, and then if you get to a point where you're like, oh, I can't watch this. Well, great, shut it off. It's free on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the way to go. Yep. Okay, that's what we're doing. Thanks. <laughs> All right, everyone, I've I've got to run. My kids are thinking they, I like I'm like one of those parents that's like, Daddy's going down to the store to get groceries, and they like never come back. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, anyways, is it wrong if they're like misbehaving? Be like, hey, you know those kids that you know that their dads they said they were going to get groceries and never came back, like. That's because the kid was misbehaving. You don't want that to happen to you, do you? Right? Eat your eat your carrots. No, that's fine. I threatened to put my daughter up for adoption like four times a day. Oh. That's probably fine too, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm totally kidding. I'd never do that. <laughs> but speak uh, for yourself. <laughs> I, I don't know. She's eight. I think it's a little late. The return policy is passed. <laughs> oh. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time. That was a fun conversation. Good. Bye, guys. <laughs> See you all.